Weather Update is brought to you by Four Corner Siding. No matter the weather, Four Corner Siding can help protect your home. Your 4th of July weekend in southeast Wyoming will feature morning sunshine, clouds increasing Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Highs in the middle and upper 80s with lows upper 50s. Afternoon and early evening showers and storms possible both days with Monday, possibly seeing some more numerous storms, heavier rains into Monday afternoon and evening. Highs mid 80s, lows upper 50s. I'm day weather meteorologist Don Watzel. I expect it to be a lot easier. I thought it was going to be a piece of cake. I didn't know what step to take next. I was transitioning from the military. I was a vehicle gunner. An avionics specialist. I was an MP, military police. My friends thought I could do anything. I missed my unit, my family. Playing with my daughter, I, I felt like a stranger. I was overwhelmed. I couldn't sleep. I just wanted to be by myself. I didn't have a clear sense of what to do next. I was too proud. And then I thought, if I'm going through this, other veterans have gone through it too, too right? I started to open up. And it made a huge difference. So I reached out and I saw that I wasn't alone. Because before I was able to take on my next mission, I had to take on just taking care of myself. To find purpose. purpose. Go to maketheconnection.net to learn how other veterans have overcome the challenges of transitioning out of the military. Hannah complained of a headache. It was a rhabdomyosarcoma. Within a few days, Hannah was in treatment because we were told that the tumor was very aggressive. And it very quickly became clear that St. Jude was the ultimate place to be. So we've essentially put our lives in South Africa on hold. Incredibly blessed to be here. St. Jude is an asset to the world. The research that is developed here is offered freely to the rest of the medical world. The entire way that the place operates is just to give and to care. I think it's the kind of place that not only stands as a beacon for pediatric cancer, but I think it could teach the world a couple of lessons about how to treat people. And I think if those lessons could be learned, even in their most basic form, this world could be a better place. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. And 650 KGAB, Nick the Motor Guy, back here on Cargab. And with me today for the next segment, or next two or three segments maybe, Tim Joannidis, uh, a good friend and tremendous mentor, and of course somebody well known in the Cheyenne and Wyoming area uh, for being the owner of many years of Holiday Motors. And uh, general, generally superb philanthropist, supporter of this community, and the... Uh, brain, the brains and the brawn almost behind Cars and Cigars, a wonderful car show which had its inaugural event back uh, back in September of 2020, and uh, we are going to be doing the second one this year. And so I thought we'd chat about that and see what Tim's been up to in his refirement, as he puts it. How are you, Tim? I'm doing great. Actually, I'm doing better than I deserve, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> well, you were just complaining to me that you had to have your jacket on in the 55-degree uh, weather in Arizona, and I just want to say how sorry I feel for you. Well, it gave me an excuse to go out in the garage and, and uh, wipe down a couple of my classic cars that we got down here. So, actually, I did 
It, it was good. It's all good. But I'm not. I'm not complaining. It's it's better than the weather you've been having in Cheyenne. That's for sure. Recently, but yes, indeed. By this weekend, it's supposed to be back in the upper 70s, and you can get back out on the golf course. Yeah, go on the golf course. Send some of that 70-degree weather. Well, actually, send some 60 degrees, because if we got 70 degrees, Jim Casey's going to have GMCs floating down Westland. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I, I, can, I can honestly say I'm glad I wasn't there for that snowstorm. I, we, I've seen a lot of them over the years, but that time, looks like that was the daddy of them all. Uh, it was a biggie, but of course, I, as we spoke a little bit earlier, we were chatting, you would have still been the first one in the dealership. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> I don't think that's what we're here to talk about today. But yeah, that's that was part of the challenge. I just figured if I could get there, everybody else could get there, right? That was always my philosophy. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember when I first was working for you, someone said, you will never, ever beat Tim to the dealership, and I never did. <laughs> and then when they call in, they say, well, you know, I can't get in. There's too much snow, whatever. I can't get in. I said, no problem. Well, I'll come out and get you. <laughs> I'll just come out and pick you up. And that single-mindedness is really what has created cars, um, cigars, and guitars. Because when you took me to lunch, um, a little, probably a little over a year ago, and said, "Hey, how about helping with this thing?" We uh, we, we really wondered if we could pull off a car show in a pandemic, but you assured me we could, and you did it. Well, there was never an option, I don't think. We just, uh, it wasn't about me or you or, quite frankly, it wasn't even about, you know, the car enthusiasts. It was more about trying to raise that money for those three charities that needed money. And we, yep. I feel really good that we all pulled together and we were able to overcome the obstacles and it was a very successful event. It was, and there was tremendous help from the entire committee and of course the IHAPA chapter here in Cheyenne who uh, worked their their tails off that day. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be doing it all again on yep. September the 11th of 21. That's, that feels like it's a ways away, but I, I know how these things can get out of hand. We're, we're, we're less than six months to get this show on the road. Yep. Well, as you know, we've been meeting since a week after the last event, so it's, we've been preparing, and we rehashed everything that we did last year, and we, okay, what can we do better, and what can we do a little different, and make it uh, better for the car enthusiasts, and and for everybody involved, and I think we've come up with some great plans and some nice, some nice modifications. You know, considering it was the first year last year, though, we did we did a heck of a job. We raised, we netted thirty nine thousand dollars for three charities, you know, thirteen thousand each for Family Promise and Habitat for Humanity and Safe House. Each got a check for thirteen thousand dollars for off that that car show event. So it was a, it definitely was a. Uh, it was a very, very much a success, but it doesn't mean we can't do better this year. And by the way, we don't want to forget to mention that it, this is all presented by our, our local HEPA Cowboy Chapter 211 here in Cheyenne. Absolutely, and uh, they, they're a huge part of this. And of course, we shouldn't also forget our major underwriter. Um, yes. Without our, our premier. Under, yeah, our premier yeah. underwriter. We have, yeah, we've got a number of underwriters, but our premier underwriter, uh, and he signed a two-year agreement, so... Uh, matter of fact, I just talked to Sam this morning. But Charles, Sam Runyon and his staff with it, Charles Schwab here in Cheyenne is our, they're going to be our premier underwriter again this year. So it's a, 
and they were truly a blessing for us and and they got the checkbook out and they but in addition to that they had people there at the event helping out it was just a, it was just a wonderful event well, again, shows the strength of this community. Uh, how, and uh, we both, well, all the committee, particularly yourself, got on the phones, rattled cages, opened doors, and people opened checkbooks and came to the event, made it the event it was. But absolutely, Sam and uh, his Charles Schwab folks, they, they just did us proud. Yep, yep. And we had a, we had a you know, we had... Over thirty, you know, underwriters and sponsors, and I mean, they all they all stepped up, and uh, they, uh, you know, Sam and his group were the premier underwriters. But we had a lot of other folks there as well at other levels, and, and again, it was it was the combination of all that that, made, that all made it happen. And thanks to our generous sponsors and and underwriters, we uh, they were able to cover all of our overhead expenses. So all the entry fees and all the extra money we took in all went towards our our three charities. Yep. And of course, these stars were the cars. And when we got to the show, what a day. Yep. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, we had a little over 100, I believe, uh, really nice classic cars. And of course, this year, with no COVID going on, we're going to be able to increase that dramatically. But cars came in. We had people registering their cars from all over the front range, Colorado, Nebraska, other parts of Wyoming, of course, including Laramie County. I mean, some of these people trailered them in. They didn't want to drive them that far, and they put them on a nice trailer and brought them in. And, but we had a really nice variety of classic cars. And I think it really proves the theory that you and I have talked about many times. The love affair for the automobile hasn't gone away by any means. It's still, it's still strong in this country. It is. Uh, well, it was such a foundation for what this yeah. country is. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Route 66 or the interstate system. Um, yeah. And as, as we've talked many times from the the, the 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 early days of the 20s and 30s into the heyday, what considered, could be considered the heyday of the 50s. And for us more enthusiastic power people, certainly the 60s and early, early 70s. Right, right. Of course, that was my generation in, in the 60s. And I can't tell, I can tell you, but I can't share all the stories. <laughs> race, race, racing, street racing, you know, car, these, these high performance uh, cars. But in any case, we, uh, it was a great event. We had nice, you know, and it didn't, we had different types of cars. I mean, we had European models, we had Jaguars and, and uh, some other European models there, but we had a lot of good representation of uh, of General Motors products and Ford products and Chrysler products, and we just had a little bit of everything, and it was just, and they were spread out nicely, and the cars weren't, you know, crushed together, and, and we've got enough room out there, uh, and we're going to probably be able to add at least another 50 to 75 cars this year with... Oh, without any of, problem. Yeah, and with, with the idea of growing it to another two or 300 cars over the next couple of years. As the as the event grows, absolutely, and then of course, great entertainment supplied uh, by uh, Mr. Bird and the Perfect Strangers, uh, who yeah. uh, who uh, heck, one th I think one of my great things was standing in, on your deck at one point, looking across all the cars, mm -hmm. listening to the band playing, and watching people in yeah. all different manners dancing between the cars. It was just a great sight. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun, and the food was tremendous. The, it yeah, was. the boys did a great job of 
We served tri-tip steaks. It wasn't a hot dog and hamburger event. (laughs) But, you know, for $100 a ticket, you expect to get more. And we provided it. And they got got nice entertainment. And uh, they got some free cigars if they chose to have a cigar out there. And, and by the way, the cigars didn't offend anybody. They were outside on 10 acres. And so everybody, nobody... Uh, everybody was cognizant of their space, and, and uh, if, if you wanted a cigar, you could do it uh, without offending anybody. But Absolutely. more importantly, the, like I say, the food was wonderful, and we had a lot of we had a lot of our you know a lot of different types of alcohol, non-alcoholic type of drinks. And so it was a it was really really a, a fun event. Our 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 motto was that or our theme was that, that we wanted it to be the premier charity classic car show in the tri-state region. Automotive enthusiasts celebrating the motoring lifestyle and improving the community along the way. Yep. I I think we were able to accomplish that. Oh, and I, th- I think it was just the start of it. I'm really, really excited for this year. And, of course, yeah. we got some uh, some great things coming. And I, I don't know if we can even, if we finally got all the uh, paperwork back on that. But um, if we don't, we can announce that later. And there's some exciting news. Well, just to what everybody's appetite, it looks like we're going to uh, be, uh, this is going to be a televised event this year. We're in the process of negotiations with three or four major uh, TV networks that have uh, automobile uh, programming, and uh, that they, they, you know, they, they specialize in automotive programming, classic car shows, and, and, and that kind of stuff. So, we uh, looks like we're on the on the edge here, and we're, we should. I think by the next show, we'll be able to announce which which stations and what programs will be on. But it appears that we're gonna we're gonna be shooting this live. Out of the out of our event this year, so that's going to really put us on the map. And I, I really can't help but think that, you know, car enthusiasts are a different breed, as you know, <laughs> Nick. And somebody's going to be sitting there at their, in their in their garage or working on their car, watching this thing, or at their living room or whatever, uh, or the neighborhood pub, and they're going to see this on TV and say, "We got to go next year." Yep. <laughs> we're going to take and we're going to take our car. You know, we're going to go and have some fun. We're going to go and see what these Wyoming guys are all about. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it'll certainly be a lot of fun. Well, I, I thanks for your time today. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and then we okay. will bring you back in, and we'll talk Sounds to good. folks about how they can uh, get the car registered, because we'll take car sure. registrations from, well, pretty much right away, right? Yeah, we're we're just about. I don't, I'm not sure if the website's up. It will be any day now. I think. Yeah. Well, we we should be in a position to start taking registrations early. And and if you were there last year and attended, we're going to make the registration process a little a little uh, a little faster for the ones that are going to pre-register this year that were there last year as well. Perfect. Well, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be back with Tim Joannidis here okay. on AM six fifty, KGAB. Wonder if you should get tested for colorectal cancer? Well, it's the second leading cancer killer in the U.S., and screening helps prevent it. So if you're 50 or older, it's time. Even if it doesn't run in your family, most often colorectal cancer occurs in people with no family history. And it doesn't always cause symptoms, especially early on. So don't wait for symptoms to get tested. Screening helps prevent the disease by finding precancerous polyps so they can be removed. Remove the polyp, prevent the cancer. Screening also helps find colorectal cancer early when treatment works best. You might be thinking, oh no, not that test. But here's the thing, you have options. There's more than one screening test. Talk to your doctor to find the one that's right for you. 
no more excuses. If you're over 50, get tested because colorectal cancer screening really does save lives. A message from HHS and CDC's Screen for Life campaign. I'm a firefighter. A teacher. I'm a farmer. I'm a barber. A waitress. A mom. We're all part of your community. Every day we move in and out of each other's busy lives. It's easy to take for granted all the little moments that make up our every day. Some are good, others not so much. But that's life. It's when you experience a moment of uncertainty. Something or someone's behavior that doesn't seem quite right. These are the moments to take a pause. Because if something doesn't feel right, it's probably not. It's not about paranoia. Or being afraid. It's about standing up and protecting our communities. One detail at a time. Because a lot of little details can become a pattern. We. 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 We trust our instincts. Just like you should. Because only you know what's not supposed to be in your everyday. So protect your everyday. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. And we're back, AM 650, KGAB, Nick the Motor Guy, back here on Cargab. And I'm really proud to have somebody with me who well, started as a business relationship, has kind of become a mentor and occasionally, hey, Nick, you got rose-tinted spectacles, which as business people, we all need those reminders. Um, my uh, good friend, Chris Fletcher, and Kozaki district manager for this region. Chris, thanks for coming on today with me. Oh, glad to, Nick. Uh, it's fun to, fun to have this uh, opportunity to chat with you and your fans. Well, you know, we, we one of the joys of people in our industry, be it cars or be it bikes, is most of us who end up in here for a length of time that we'll, we'll just leave it alone, but it's been a while for both of us, right? Yes, sir. Um, yeah. We're enthusiasts, and we do it because it just drags you in. It becomes really a great thing between the people you meet, the companies you get to work for. Uh, and quite honestly, and I tell people this all the time, when they ask me, what about this machine, what about that machine? And if it's a Kawasaki against everything else, I have to look at it and go, well, I bleed green, so I'm just warning you ahead of time. And Kawasaki not only produces a magnificent vehicle, but the people who are in the company and the company itself, in my opinion, are as good as anybody out there. Well, that's wonderful for you to say, Nick, and it's something that I feel pretty strongly with, too. And, um, you know, I, I liken it to a disease. You know, we all kind of <laughs> have this disease when we were kids. Um, I blame it on my father. So, uh, you know, but it's a, it's something that came into my life and it's stuck and it's never going away. So, and, you know, and having good relationships with our business partners, is, like you were saying, it's just, it's fantastic. It's a, it makes it a really fun business. It really does. And your disease, and don't worry, I blame my father as well. Uh, so we're, we're alike in that one. But your disease has started pretty early age. Uh, why, why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, what I, I mean, I always loved bicycles. So growing up as a kid, I always had a bicycle, loved to ride in the dirt, loved to jump bicycles, all kinds of fun things like that. So it was like a, you know, with my dad having motorcycles, uh, brothers having motorcycles as I grew up. Um, you know, I just, I gained a liking to them at a very, I wouldn't say a young age as it, as it stands in concern it versus uh, some other sports and such, but boy, by 10, 10, 
age of 10, I was um, playing on motorcycles, and by 11 and 12, I had already had a couple and was uh, riding them, taking them apart, rebuilding them, sometimes <laughs> mashing two motorcycles together to get one. And uh, <laughs> you know, it was just, it was something that was kept me very occupied as a kid. And honestly, it kept me out of trouble. So. Yes, I think that, that that's a good piece of it. And of course, while you were doing that, you didn't exactly have any intentions of doing this as, for a living, right? Oh, no, no, it was something you kind of you think oh it'd be fun to work and doing this but my head was so wrapped around just the the joy of being able to get out and ride and hang out with friends and and do those kinds of things that that was the first thing and it wasn't till a little bit later in life that i kind of figured out hey this could be a career <laughs> but it was almost by mistake when it happened right oh absolutely yeah it, for me it was so um i just ended up from a young age younger age i ended up racing uh, motorcycles in the dirt, motocross, and, uh, you know, with that, it just, I I can say that from 13, 14 on, it was a part of my life riding and racing motorcycles in the dirt, so. So, so we got I got to put you on the line here. Were they always green? No, they weren't. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Started out on a Chaparral 100 and ended up getting, uh, Elsinore, Honda Elsinore 125, Honda yeah. Elsinore 50s, and uh, you know, kind of went from there. So you were a bit of a red guy then? Uh, I would say a little bit, yeah, early on. So. <laughs> well, look, I, and rightly so. They, yeah. I mean, they are brilliant machines, but... Yeah, yeah and they, they're a good engineering company, very similar to Kawasaki. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when did when did you first really become aware of Kawasaki and uh, where did that come from? Uh, that was that was around 17, 18 years old. Um, and with that, you know, I just as I started racing more, I just liked the green <laughs> you know, and became a, a fan of the green and some of the motorcycles that they had available. Like, and, you know, really, I, I started racing KX 500s at about 18 and uh that is a lunatic machine at any age, but at 18, that was a handful. It was a handful, and I was a scrawny little runt, so <laughs> I was kind of, I could, I guess I could move it a little bit better than most of the guys at that time. <laughs> so, you you actually went to school for something entirely different, right? Yes, sir, I did. I did. Um, I went to school to be... Uh, dental hygienist and I was actually going on to be an orthodontist and before I decided that school was just not in the cards for me you might say yeah yeah I, I'm thinking staring in people's mouths against hanging with uh, motorcyclists and cool machines I know which one I'm with yeah 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 it didn't take much to get me to switch that's for sure and when I was in uh, school doing my training I that's where I uh, I'd worked at a motorcycle dealership part-time, and actually I was racing bikes, and he was helping me with that, helping to sponsor me. So with that, I was involved in working in dealer, a dealership and and getting to do what I wanted to do. So, you know, as, as far as part-time, it was just the ultimate job. So I really enjoyed that. 
Absolutely. I, I, and, I mean, just kind of dragged you in. When, when did you first get the opportunity to go and work uh, for Kozaki Corporate? Because you, I mean, typical of so many people I've met with Kozaki Corporate over the last four or five years, once you become part of Kozaki, um, you, you don't leave. Yeah, it is, it is a company. It's more uh, family-oriented, you might say. That you know, tri- just everybody's really good to each other within the company, and uh, you know, it's it's you get a lot of support from different angles, mm-hmm. and just a lot of solid people that just showed me that wow, this is this is a good company. They build good product. They're out there trying to do good things, and and they reward your people for it. So. Well, my counterparts and people that I was working with, it was, I I was working with some 30, 40, and even 50 year in the industry people. And for the most part, most of those, their experiences were with Kawasaki that whole time. Which is incredible for a company that has been in the States now for only a little over 50 years. So they've had the same employees almost in their entire U.S. history. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's it's not something that you see in today's world, that's for sure. It, it really isn't. And you can tell. I mean, as a dealer for you, I mean, obviously, I pick up the phone and I, I call you and I, I always uh, get an answer. It may not always be what I want as an answer, but... I get the answers I need and anybody I deal with, they're just they're just great people. And I, I just want to make one point to everybody out there. And you've heard me say this before, but with Chris on, I'd like to reinforce it. One year ago, when everything got shut down and power sports dealers like myself were in very, very concerned about where we were going, the first company to make phone calls and i received calls from chris and i got letters and emails from the ceo of the company saying you're okay we got you back and they did something which no other company did not to that extent and certainly not that quickly and i will be forever loyal and forever grateful because of that oh that's very good to hear sir and that's you know i i like that we we panicked of course but, um, you know, within a short period of time, we quickly realized that, hey, uh, people are still buying bikes. People are still wanting <laughs> to get out and spend time in nature, spend time with their families. And and so that, you know, for us, we realized it fairly quickly yeah. and, you know, ended up redirecting and, and you know, just trying to weather the storm and, and keep keep businesses rolling, keep our dealerships healthy and and move along. And support your customers. And again, yeah. this is the joy of it, I've, because we, because us as dealers know that we got a company like you at our backs, we can we can be there for the customers absolutely without a doubt that we've got the backing we need. And I, I I've been in business for twenty years now, and there's no company that's ever done like that like that for me. So wonderful! It's great. Thank you very much. Well, and Chris, of course, you're still enthusiastic. You still write occasionally, right? Even between all I, this running around after these difficult dealers like myself. Yeah, boy, they're a handful. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> no, I, I, I do joke. I tell people, well, you know, if I wanted to start riding dirt bikes like I used to, I'd probably have to get another job. But, but yeah, it's um, I'm working it out. I try to find time to balance it and. I love any minute I can spend on a dirt bike or a street bike, for that matter. 
So it's uh, just getting out and playing is a is a good thing for you. It's healthy. It's it. Uh, it's healthy it both physically and mentally. Certainly, certainly, and it and it helps to keep us motivated too. Absolutely. Well, Chris, I'm going to take a quick break here and then we'll bring you back in. Maybe we could talk about a couple of the new models he- headed our way, which have been announced already. Uh, maybe a little bit about the uh, rebirth of the granddaddy of them all, the KLR650. So oh, sure. We'll be right back. Good. We'll be right back here. AM650, KGAB. We're all part of your community. We all play a role in keeping our community safe. So protect your every day. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. You're listening to Cheyenne's News and Talk Station, AM 650, KGAB, Orchard Valley, Cheyenne, a town square media station. The number of dead rises in Florida. I'm Pam Huso, Fox News. Our teams recovered two additional victims. Miami-Dade County Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava at the scene of the condominium tower collapse in Surfside. The number of confirmed victims now stands at 24. That's 188 accounted for and 124 unaccounted for. Complicating efforts to remove the rubble is the remainder of the building that's still standing and wobbling. Demolition workers are planning to bring it down tomorrow or Monday ahead of an approaching storm. The fear was that the hurricane may take the building down for us and take it down in the wrong direction, on top of the pile where we have victims. Surfside Mayor Charles Burkett. The approaching storm is Elsa, which has been downgraded to a tropical storm as it turns closer to Haiti and the Dominican Republic. There's about 70 mile per hour sustained winds. Uh, now the impacts from the storm, whether it's a strong tropical storm or a weak hurricane, uh, will begin affecting the Florida Keys and portions of the South Florida Peninsula. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Another high-rise building near the one in Surfside has been fully evacuated. Residents were ordered out yesterday from the Crestview Towers complex in North Miami Beach after it was deemed unsafe. A ransomware attack targeting about 200 businesses in the U.S. is being felt far and wide. Sweden's largest grocery store chain was forced to close all 800 of its stores after cash registers couldn't operate. The sophisticated attack that experts say was carried out by a group in Russia or Eastern Europe hijacked technology management software from a supplier based in Miami called Kaseya. The same group targeted a U.S. meat supplier earlier this year. America's listening to Fox News. July 4th is coming up, and Fox News Shop is having their biggest sale of the year. It's a perfect time to give the Fox News fan in your life the greatest gift of all, exclusive Fox News gear. Go to shop.foxnews.com to get 20% off on all your orders with code FOXFORTH now through July 5th. Shop bestsellers like the Fox News Stars and Stripes Socks, Fox and Friends Hats, the Five Tumblers, Gutfeld T-Shirts, and much more. Hurry and head to shop.foxnews.com to receive 20% off on all orders with code FOXFORTH now through July 5th. Due to overwhelming demand, we're extending our special Grateful Nation offer. We're giving all active military and veterans Fox Nation for free. 
for an entire year. Get the shows that celebrate our country and the people that serve and protect it. So if you haven't subscribed to Fox Nation, do it now because we're extending this special offer. If you're active military or a veteran, go to foxnation.com right now. Thank you for your service and your sacrifice and enjoy your free year of Fox New cases of the coronavirus are ticking up in the U.S. Johns Hopkins University says nearly 30,000 people tested positive yesterday. The Biden administration is certainly making a very big public push to get more Americans vaccinated. The CDC has given us a breakdown of where things stand with the vaccine, where it shows about 156 million Americans have been fully vaccinated, 181 million getting at least one dose, and close to 58% of adults 18 and older are fully vaccinated. The White House certainly wanted those numbers to be a bit higher than where they are right now. The president, though, insists that progress is being made. Fox's Mark Meredith. At this hour, President Biden is in Traverse City, Michigan, touting the gains made against COVID-19. Whether it's at the gas station or the supermarket, Americans are paying more for everyday items. House Democrat Dan Kildee tells Fox's Neil Cavuto the squeeze on consumers is real. We obviously always want to be concerned to try to manage the economy to avoid to avoid runaway inflation. I think there is a difference in terms of the experience we're having now and those past periods where, as you point out, there were structural problems in the economy. Some opponents to White House economic policy believe too much government spending could overheat the economy, causing a wild spike in prices. The speedy withdrawal of U.S. forces from Afghanistan is being questioned by people who have concerns about the Taliban regaining control. Former Navy SEAL Rob O'Neill, who killed Osama bin Laden, was on Fox and Friends. When we do try to evacuate, which will take a number of weeks, we're going to need to probably put some more airborne assets in there to include troops. There's going to be more fighting. It's not a good idea to just completely withdraw and certainly a bad idea to give them a timeline. A small contingent of U.S. troops, about 650 or so, will remain in Afghanistan to protect the U.S. Embassy in Kabul. Pam Fuso, Fox News. Our update is brought to you by Four Corner Siding. No matter the weather, Four Corner Siding can help protect your home. Your 4th of July weekend in southeast Wyoming will feature morning sunshine, clouds increasing Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Highs in the middle and upper 80s with lows upper 50s. Afternoon and early evening showers and storms possible both days with Monday, possibly seeing some more numerous storms, heavier rains into Monday afternoon and evening. Highs mid 80s, lows upper 50s. I'm day weather meteorologist Don Watzel. Adopt U.S. Kids present what to expect when you're expecting a teenager learning the lingo goat g-o-a-t acronym stands for greatest of all time as in spaghetti sandwiches for dinner they're my fave dad you're the goat you don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same visit adoptuskids.org brought to you by the u.s department of health and human services adopt u.s kids and the ad council and welcome back once again to Weekend in Wyoming. I'm Doug Randall. On this segment, I have Cody Tucker with 7220sports.com. Cody, welcome aboard. You're newly affiliated with us in Town Square Media of Cheyenne. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me, first of all, Doug. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, really happy to be here. Really excited. It, uh, you know, I started this thing in, in June of 2019, and uh, obviously we've been in some very uncertain times, and and uh, getting on with Town Square just adds stability and longevity to something that I created, and it feels really good to know that, that it's going to be around for a long, long time. I think there's a lot of interest in UW 
Sports, big market for what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, you know, when I was in Michigan as a, as a sports reporter, people thought I was crazy when I came up with this idea because, you know, their thought is Wyoming only has half a million people. But they didn't understand that half a million people care about the Wyoming Cowboys, whether that's a little bit or a lot. So that's a whole state, and no other state can say that. Well, and we don't have Wyoming and Wyoming State, yep. Southern Wyoming. We've yep. got fo- one four-year university. People follow it closely. Uh, when they do well, people get excited. When uh, when a former poke does well, like Josh Allen in the NFL, people love it. Yep. It's a big deal here. Absolutely. And, and people outside of Wyoming don't really understand it. You know, we're small but mighty, I guess is a good way to put it. Uh, you know, people have no idea what it takes to get to Laramie uh, on a day like today, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what it takes for us to go 45 miles is uh, quite a feat. So you're not going from Moreland or Sheridan, you know, most times to get to a basketball game. It's just the reality where we live. So people do care tremendously though absolutely now 7220 sports for those whom it doesn't ring a bell for the elevation yes of laramie yep the highest football stadium in division one football and something we like to take advantage of by reminding <laughs> yeah. people of that when they come from the lower elevations that's right now you mentioned the difficulty of getting to laramie how much is it a, a problem to recruit athletes to laramie is that is that tough I mean, I'd imagine it's not easy. Um, you know, it's the demographics are slanted a certain way. It's kind of, Laramie's kind of out there on its own. Uh, I know we take a lot of pride in it, and it's like, you know, Wyoming's hometown, but for a kid coming from inner city Chicago, maybe, or, or Dallas, uh, it's a little different. But, you know, I think these teams, though, they're their own little community, mm-hmm. and they bond together, and they're buddies, and they're, you know, lifelong brothers. And, and you know, to be honest with you, Doug, there's not that many Division One opportunities out there if that you is think true. about it yes you know and i covered sports in houston texas and all those kids thought they were going to texas they all mm-hmm. thought they were going to texas a&m it there's only so many scholarships to go around so i think we've been really fortunate in denver uh really picked up a lot of kids out of the denver metro area that have really made a big difference at wyoming and craig bull since he's been here has made a huge effort to keep the wyoming kids in state mm-hmm. that need to be here so which didn't used to be the case so much no no, and, and you can't win with a whole roster loaded with Wyoming kids. You just can't, and we know that. I mean, it'd be a cute story, but it just won't work. So it is nice to keep the ones that, that should be here, Division One caliber athletes. Mm-hmm. That's key. What you're looking at, a handful of kids, but nonetheless, it's a Maybe. nice tie. Yeah, yeah, and also a great thing about Craig Bowles is walk-on program's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. He encourages walk-ons. To, I think 33-plus walk-ons have earned a scholarship under him since he's been here since 2014. So a lot of those are Wyoming kids. Of course, when a Josh Allen comes from Wyoming and does well, we've sent several notable players to the NBA. That does help with recruiting. Absolutely. Right now, it's so unbelievable still to this day. Remember back in the day, you turn on an NFL Sunday and – be like, oh, there's a Wyoming guy. You know, it's amazing. Holy cow, I get to watch a Wyoming guy. Mm-hmm. Now there's 16 of them. Mm-hmm. It's harder not to find a Wyoming guy <laughs> on TV, which is just gives us all a sense of pride, of course. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a Wyoming guy first and foremost, so it does give you pride. And especially when you live outside of Wyoming, you can go, yeah, you see that guy? Yeah, yeah. I know where he went to school. He... He's well, from there's my a state. good chance people might even know him. A lot of folks know Josh Allen. Oh, Josh, for sure. But, yeah, a lot of even the, the other guys, you know. Chase Rullier just got paid by Washington. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Epps had some nice plays in Philly. And there's just one guy after another. And it's so great to see. Tell us about yourself. You're originally from Michigan? Cheyenne. I'm from Wyoming. Oh, okay. Tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I'm from Cheyenne. uh, Graduated from Central High School and uh, went to LCCC. uh, Got my uh, journalism mass media degree at LCCC and then started this crazy ride. My 
first journalism job was in Warland, Wyoming, and uh, still went to every Wyoming game, by the way, which was a 10-hour round trip on oh, yeah. Saturday. People do that here, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was brutal. It was brutal. Uh, but, yeah, uh, and then ended up in Douglas, uh, spent a couple years there, and then uh, went to a newspaper in Houston, covered uh, Jalen Hurts, the current All Eagles right. quarterback, when he was in high school down there. And Is he a good guy? Or? A great guy. Yeah. Yeah, and Alabama was on him like right out of junior high mm-hmm. so that's yeah. the way it is anymore with the big time recruiting. oh man especially down there oh, uh, yeah. it, that's i actually took a pay cut to go from douglas to houston but are you serious isn't that crazy that seems impossible yeah about an eight thousand dollar pay cut oh my lord yeah but i thought you know when are you going to get experience like this mm-hmm. i covered probably 50 division one football players looks great on a resume it does and it was great experience because people do care <laughs> they care tremendously about high school football not that douglas doesn't because they really do in their right. own way too but but how High school football Texas. in the South is almost a religion. Yeah. Friday Night Lights yeah. is a big deal. Absolutely. And the stadium was almost as big as War Memorial Stadium, the main <laughs> one I covered. And you'd be in the press box, and they feed, they're feed they feeding you like Chick-fil-A, and there's big screens <laughs> that show the replay, and you're like, what is this? So how did you end up back in Wyoming? Then? Well, um, I, can't, I ended up coming back to Douglas after Houston uh, because my boss was sick, and he, he begged me. So I went back to Douglas and then did a little radio for a while. I actually moved to Florida for 10 whole days till uh, our radio host got us fired and uh, <laughs> back to Wyoming we, we come but I uh, I got a job covering Michigan State University Athletics for the Lansing State Journal and mm-hmm. uh, lived in Michigan for two years and my wife is from there so it was kind of weird we met in Wyoming so it was kind of weird for her to move back but it was a huge opportunity to cover the Spartans and you know I covered Tom Izzo and Mark D'Antonio for two years and Did you cover Kirk Cousins? Or? I met, him, met Kirk Cousins yeah. He wasn't there when you were No there. he got inducted in the Ring of Fame though at Spartan Stadium when I, I was see there. Him. So great, great athlete. Well, he's done very well for himself. Yeah, he was. Who knew he was such a great football player? Well, fifth round draft choice. He's <laughs> yeah. uh, he's made his money and made his mark right now in the yeah. NFL. Yeah. So, so how's Michigan State? How's covering that different than covering the University of Wyoming? Oh, just there's a billion and a half reporters that cover oh, Michigan State, and then uh, after Michigan State, I actually moved on and covered the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, and uh, a million people cover the Pittsburgh Penguins mm-hmm. too. So. That's kind of the difference here. You get way more, um, you get to know the players better. You have better, way better access. And very I can believe that. for that, man. It's so good to be able to sit with a player and not just talk about X's and O's, but talk about them as a person. Mm-hmm. And then you get to relay that onto the fans, and then the fans feel like they get to know them. So it's been great in that regard. And, and you know, to be honest with you, Doug, I didn't miss a Wyoming game for 28 years growing up. Oh, really? Up, and this was always my dream job. So I've always been fighting to get back. And people think I'm nuts that, you know, Michigan State's way bigger than Wyoming. The Pittsburgh Penguins are way bigger than Wyoming, but... That's not in Wyoming. Yeah, not. no, this is my dream. It's it's absolutely my dream job to to say that I cover the Wyoming Cowboys. That means the world to me. So you started this website, you said, in 2019. How did yep. that all come about? Um, <laughs> you know, I'd be sitting in the press boxes at Spartan Stadium and at PPG Paints Arena in Pittsburgh, and I'd be looking at these other guys who independently covered those teams, and I'd go, these guys aren't very bright. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're not very bright, and, and their interviews are not good, and I've read their stuff, and yeah. but somehow they're making it. Right. I can do this. Uh-huh. So, and you know, of course, uh, it makes me sad, but newspapers are definitely what newspapers are now. and, and Serious uh, decline. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because that's my first love, but um, I knew I better get on the wave of technology, which I'm not a techno, I'm not into technology whatsoever, but I thought I better get on this wave or, you know, I could be possibly left behind. 
behind. So. Well, in the days of waiting for the morning paper to yep. come out to check the scores, those are over with. It's not that way anymore. Yeah, and my competitors over in Laramie at the Wyoming Tribune Eagle and the Casper Star, um, you know, they're pinched so hard. And now there's, what, Mondays and Tuesdays, they don't even print. Right. So if you think right. about it, if a game ends in Laramie on a Saturday night at like 11 o'clock. Which is not unusual. Uh, not unusual. That no, That is not coming out in the paper till Wednesday morning. Right. So, and I know they post stuff online, but... You know, there's a lot of people who still want to hold that newspaper, and I'm with them, but it's, you know, the grip is definitely loosening. So when it comes to, to covering UW sports, how do you approach that? What do you, what do you emphasize? Um, you know, my background is in features and storytelling mm-hmm. and getting to know people and the real in-depth stuff. Um, so, you know, I do the day-to-day beat stuff, of course, you know, what's right. going on. But, you know, we launched the site June 1st, 2019, and I knew right away my first story was going to be about Finnis Dembo. And we went down to San Antonio and spent the day with Finnis, of course, a Wyoming great, won a championship with the bad boys of the Detroit Pistons in the 90s. Um, I knew I wanted him, and it wasn't just a, oh, Finnis Dembo. It was, I knew that Finnis Finnis had had, you know, a rough life after basketball. Right. Um, right. Tell us a little bit about that for those who don't know. Yeah. So Finnis on Easter morning, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the year, but on Easter morning, he had a home invasion and uh, oh. a guy was busting in his house and he had his whole family in the house, including his uh, elderly mother and his nieces and nephews. And unfortunately, Finnis uh, had to shoot the the gentleman and uh he shot and killed him and um it's something that affects finnis so badly to this day uh he couldn't leave his house um but it's a no-win situation the other right. end of that you're sean taylor and you're dead sure sure uh, you know and i i tried to talk to finnis a lot about that i said you know nobody would blame you and he says you know that that doesn't help that doesn't help me. You know, he doesn't own a gun anymore. He has no desire. He, you know, he told me over and over, I took a man's life. I took, I took somebody's husband, you know, right. and it, it is a horrible situation. And Finnis is just lights up a room and he's such a great human being and he still is. But man, uh, what a, what a struggle to go from winning a ring with the Pistons to having to do something so unfortunate like that in the childhood home. He grew up in where he still lives. We did oh, the wow. interview about wow. five feet away from that front door where that gentleman broke in. It speaks well of him as a human being that he does have that moral quandary oh over. absolutely yeah he's not you know it's easy to be a gun toting and say hey yeah i'd do it but it's another thing when you actually have to do it right talk to anybody who's been in combat and i'll sure. tell you about that sure sure so you, you you sound like you get more into the personalities and the uh that that the personal aspect of sports would that be an accurate summary yeah absolutely uh the biggest story of my career and i don't know if this name rings a bell for you doug but uh i did a story on charles rogers who was a former former number former two number one draft choice yeah. For the Lions, he was yep. a bust. Yes, and nobody had seen him in a decade. And uh, I found him. I found him in Fort Myers, Florida, working at a chop shop. And uh, my boss said, "If you find him, I don't care if he's on the moon. I will fly you there the next day." They flew me to Fort Myers, Florida, and I spent four days with Charles Rogers. And it was the biggest story I've ever done in my life. <laughs> this is for me because I'm curious. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, you know, Charles had a really public fall from grace, as you know. I mean, right away you say bust. That's what a lot of people think of when they think of Chuck. But he uh, he just was going down a really dangerous path. Drugs, alcohol, all that stuff. Happens a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, and he had eight children with four different women. And, you know, once he fell out of the NFL, he you know, all of the – you know, I don't know about you, Doug, but back then when he got drafted, he's from Saginaw. He went to Michigan State. Then he gets Detroit. drafted by the Lions. And I go, wow, that's cool. High profile, number one pick. Yeah, and I thought, man. That's really cool. He's got to feel on top of the world. And I was just a kid back then. Right. Uh, but 
it wasn't now it wasn't a good thing um the leeches are still too close to you and that's now, what and happens when you're rich a couple of things about that from my perspective for one thing the lions had a string of number one busts: joey yes. harrington yep. charles rogers we could go on down the list yep. secondly that's just a dysfunctional organization it is it is. And when you come from a dysfunctional family in the first place and, and your buddies are your family and they care about your money more than they care about you. Uh, I found a dejected, sad, about 30 pounds underweight, which he, underweight? which he was always slim. Right. Um, he didn't look like an NFL superstar to me when I found him. Uh, How sad. In, uh, and unfortunately, he just passed away about six, seven months ago. And uh, I'm sorry. To, I did not know that. And I'm yeah, sorry to hear that. Yeah. It, it was just a, it was four days of, I, I didn't even know how big this story was going to be. And it was gigantic. It was all over the place. I believe it had three million page views in the first day and it was I all over the country it. and people cared and people loved him and they wanted him to come back to Michigan. And unfortunately, he just never could face you know his friends and family again so he kind of hid in florida and and just a really sad deal i feel for his kids and his family and and uh just the fans they loved him they never stopped loving him just because he made mistakes well i'm being a number one pick who and i use the word bust that's a little unkind but being a number one pick who doesn't make it we could look at ryan leaf he's had problems jamarcus russell well another guy did a story on any slancing was tony mandrich it's tony mandrich yeah, he was number two overall uh, yeah I, I'm old enough to remember that. Yeah. I remember when he... When incredible they bust. About, yeah. And they called him the Incredible Shrinking Man and all that. <laughs> yeah. Um, he was a tremendous player in college, and, and he, people, well, yeah, he was, he was shooting the juice. We all know yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, and it's unfortunate because they were saying, you know, is this guy, is, is he the best player out this year or yeah. not? And there was some serious dispute about that. We know now the answer was no. Well, and think about that draft. Oh, yeah. Barry Sanders. <laughs> uh, what, Steve Atwater. Um, Troy Aikman went number one to the Cowboys. Uh, how do you compete with that? Well, and when Tony got drafted by Green Bay, he said, I'm not going there. That place is a village. That's not even a town. <laughs> he didn't even want to go there. And he went on Letterman, and oh, he yeah. was so arrogant and cocky. That, that's not new. I read a book by Jim Brown where he talked about in his days in the NFL, if a coach was mad at you, they'd say, we're going to send you to Green Bay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Buffalo. <laughs> like being sent to the gulag. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it, it is... Um, there's a lot of human element to these stories. Oh, yeah. it, it, it's tough. Um, these aren't, you know, I think it's easy as fans to forget sometimes these aren't cutout figures. These are human beings we're talking about. Um, human beings with feelings. Yep. And, and fans and writers can be very cruel sometimes. Absolutely. Unthinkingly. With, yeah, and with a guy like Charles Rogers, I think most people would say bust first and foremost, but then other people say... How could you blow $30 million? And a lot of it was because he kept getting pop smoking weed. And people go, why? How in the hell can you? Why? You know, and it's a legit question. Ricky Williams. Yeah, but we don't, we're not in their shoes. And, you know, we just don't know. And with Charles, I did obviously extensive research on that story. And he didn't have a, a great foundation. We'll, well put it that way. And I would assume there was some substance abuse issues there. Oh, because yeah. if, if you can't yeah. stop smoking weed for $30 million, yeah. you have a problem. And then two, two collarbones, two broken collarbones in a row, then that's when the painkillers came in. Well, and, uh, that's a slippery slope, as we all know. But the, but the, the, the weed kept popping him hot, which was getting him suspended, which was making the fans turn on him because it was like, dude. It was just like the receiver, and I'm, I'm drawing a blank, that just got cut by the Seahawks. Josh Gordon. Josh Gordon. Yeah. And, and, you know, as a fan, it's like, how can you be so dumb? I know. I, know. The, I mean, the dude's got talent. Yeah. But it's substance abuse is a, it, it, I, I believe it is a disease. Yeah. 
And, oh, I saw it with Charles for four straight days. And like any other disease, it may not follow a course that's rational and well thought out. <laughs> yeah. Very sad in yeah. a lot of cases. And just imagine throwing, you know, $30 million on top of that disease and, and not having a good family structure. And, and having everybody know about yeah, it. Everybody and knew. probably remind you of it. Oh, yeah. Every day. Getting back to the UW sports, Craig Ball is an interesting case. He came in from North Dakota State. Yep. Of course, was Carson Wentz's college coach. Um, he said when he came here that his um, his main goal was to instill toughness in the Cowboy football program. I think we see that reflected on the field, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And you have to be tough to run in his scheme because run is the key word in his scheme. Right. And uh, he's all about running the ball and playing good, tough defense, and he's done that. And, uh, man, the championships haven't been there yet. Um, I honestly feel like that's going to change very soon. I do as well. Yeah, but it, it, he has put so many kids in the NFL. Uh, a kid like Logan Wilson, who is a Wyoming tough to the to From the degree, yeah, yeah, absolutely, a Wyoming kid who came in as a defensive back and is now roaming the middle of the defense for the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. I mean, just uh, he he personifies Wyoming football, mm-hmm. toughness, nose to the grindstone, hand in the dirt. Uh, you know, I'm I'm here to play ball, right? And that's what he did. What they like to call blue collar lunch pail oh, attitude, absolutely, as opposed to the superstar. Yeah, and you don't see that a lot on Craig Bowles team. Those no, guys you really are dan- don't. dancing, and you, you don't you don't see it. You well, know. it doesn't fit Wyoming either. No, no. <laughs> I think Rocket Ishmael's son was probably the most flamboyant, if you want to put it that way. Right. And, and he picked up a couple personal fouls, and uh, Craig Bowles' face turned very red. What happened sideline. with him anyway? Um, he's just back in Dallas. Last I talked to him, he's uh, he was hoping to latch on maybe with Canadian Football League, but uh, nothing yet. So great kid. I, I hope the best for him too. And that's the beauty, honestly, Doug, about these guys. And I'm not. Not just saying it to blow smoke because I would tell you if these kids sucked, mm-hmm. they're great human beings. Mm-hmm. They're all just so so good, you know. And and you didn't covering professional sports like I did. Uh, you didn't always see that. No, uh, there's a lot of people in professional sports who are not exactly role models, right? But on the flip side too, when when you're covering the Penguins, you can hammer those guys. They make millions of dollars. Oh yeah. So yeah, if they yeah. slip up, you're in trouble. With absolutely, the media. absolutely. But, but college kids, you just can't and you shouldn't do it. Right. And uh, but these kids are. Just just, man, they're the, you know, Craig Bowl only recruits a certain kid, and, and he means it. It's not lip service or coach speak. These kids are legit human beings. How do you think the new basketball coach is going to do men's coach? Oh, love him. I love him. Uh, you know, all he did was come in and pull the number one recruiting class in the Mountain West. Wyoming's been nothing short of a dumpster fire for the last three years. He pulls the number one recruiting class over Zoom calls. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, when you think about it. Yeah. Different challenges this year. Yeah, he got his first day when he signed on the dotted line was St. Patrick's Day. And we all know that's about the time the world went to hell in a handbasket. Right, right. All he did was go recruit the players that were on that squad anyway, face-to-face. Mm-hmm. The Hunter Maldonado, Hunter Thompson, you know, um, Kenny Foster, Quan Marble. The guys you wanted from last year's team to come back. Mm-hmm. He went and got those guys back and then just went on a whirlwind tour of pulling off guys, including a guy named Marcus Williams who's playing point guard right now he's the fourth leading true freshman scorer in the nation uh really good and these guys don't lose a year of eligibility so this year is really a learning experience there's been some you know rough moments but they've already won more games than they won last year Uh, and the the trajectory is incredible jeff linder is a very good coach very good man uh it's been a real breath of fresh air and alan edwards was a great human being too don't get me wrong but that was the not program working. went south. Though. It wasn't working. Uh, yeah. On the court, the product was just not 
there. Oh, and a- after a, a time, we had some success with the Cowboy basketball program. Yeah. And fans, I wouldn't say they were spoiled, but they certainly had higher expectations. Yeah. And it kind of all went south for a couple of years. Oh, my God, did it ever. It, it just, uh, and the fans showed it. I mean, it was like a morgue in there. And, and I know I kind of pissed Alan Edwards off last year because I said, you know, if you know Laramie, where the double A is, there's a, there's a cemetery across the road. And I wrote that there was more action going on in the cemetery <laughs> than there was in this building. And he, he kind of thought that was a low blow, but it and it, maybe it was, but man, it was kind of the reality of the situation. It got, well, and even just here in Cheyenne, just talking with people, talking with fans, I mean, the attitude got real bleak. You probably couldn't one. even give away tickets, I'd imagine. Uh, it was no, brutal. It, it, was, it was difficult, yeah. and that's something we do here. And, and there were times where nobody really wanted them. Yeah. Oh, I'm a huge fan of sports, period. But there was times, even when I was just a Wyoming fan, that I didn't want to go over there either. How about, I, the, how about the women's team? What do you see happening there this year? Oh, they're just always, you know, I don't cover them as hard, of course, but I pay attention to them a little bit. They're just, they're steady Eddie. Yeah. You know, they're always steady Eddie. They play good basketball, good fundamental basketball. They, they had some good years there in the early years yeah. of the century, though. Yeah, Joe Ligurski was a real breath of fresh Rock air. Rock Springs guy. And yep. I, when I was in Rock Springs, I used to work with his brother, Bob, who was the high school basketball coach. I that was doing sense. radio out there. Yeah. Uh, Bob was a great guy. I used to call him up on the road at 3.30 in the morning. Dude always talked to me. I always appreciated <laughs> it. Well, in smaller towns, you build these relationships with people. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and in Wyoming in general. Oh, yeah. Douglas feels like a second hometown to me. <laughs> I, I love that place. I always will. It always is a it special or? place. I do, but Cheyenne's home, and, and Cheyenne's I've, been, nice. I've been fighting for a decade to get home, and so it feels so good to be here, and, and my wife's a probation officer, so it's not as easy for her to find a job, and it's not easy for, you know, as you know, it's not easy for media people to find jobs all the time, too, especially ones they want and in desired locations. Right. Uh, so it, it, the stars kind of aligned, and we both finally ended up in Cheyenne, and it feels so good to be around family and friends again, and, and to be home. I mean, I fought really hard to get back to Cheyenne for years, so feels great. I love my hometown. I love this place, and if all goes according to plan, I'm never going anywhere again. I'll just go on vacations. <laughs> <laughs> You kind of touched on this, but I think it's something worth uh, worth hitting again. COVID, COVID nineteen. How's that affected yeah. college sports? How's it different? Uh, how is it not? How's it not? A better yeah. question, honestly. Um, you know, it it was kind of embarrassing. I actually kind of broke down a little bit when they canceled the the season, the football season. Initially, I was doing a podcast, and uh, the, the tears started coming. It was you were uh, the only one I know. Yeah, it was. You know, it was one of the, it was so embarrassing for me. I'm a big, tough, hairy, you know, tattooed guy, and uh, it was sad. It was sad, and it wasn't. And it wasn't just because of 7220 sports it was how can wyoming football not play during well, the and then when they did play the games get canceled yeah. there a couple it was, it was a tough way it was a it was a tough season yeah and tough in a different way than most of our players or coaches have ever experienced yeah and i do want to say I, I think this gets brushed under the rug too much these guys these players these coaches the support staff they got their brains jammed three times a week you know, COVID testing so that they could get out there and play a season. And, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, I feel like I'd be forever in debt to them for, for doing that because it would have been very easy to fold up shop and say, forget it. Let's let's focus on next year. And they did that. They worked their butt off. And as you know, a college kid not going to bars and not going to parties like they sacrificed a lot right. to do this for us. So uh, it meant a lot. But it, it's been bizarre. Um, I'm not I'm not able, unfortunately, to get a lot of those personal stories this 
this year, and I think fans understand. You know, we 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 have Zoom calls now, and right. it's it's not quite the same. No, and and from what I hear from buddies when they're on the road with the team and stuff like that, they they sit in their hotel. You know, I said, man, you're lucky you get to go to San Diego this week to sit in a hotel. Well, look you at know? the NBA with their bubble last year. Yeah, yeah, it's not fun. I mean, they're not having fun, and it's all about work. And that's what I love about Jeff Linder, though. He worries about his players' mental health. Mm-hmm. They've been here since like June. And, mm-hmm. and they haven't been able to leave campus, and they have to quarantine, and they can only be around certain people. And they, you know, around Christmas break, he said, "I'm sending my guys home, and I don't care if they come back with COVID. I don't care at this at point. point. They need live to life. go home. Yep. Yeah, they need to see their family. They can't even go up and hug their family after games and stuff. So, it's just a, it's bizarre. And I hope it's, I hope, I hope the light at the end of the tunnel is getting a little brighter. Cody, we're just about out of time. Any last thoughts on UW Sports, your website, or life in general, or whatever you'd like yeah, to toss out there? I just hope fans check it out. Uh, we've been around for a while, and we've kind of we've gained a name, but now we're on a bigger platform, obviously, and I really hope people check it out. Uh, I think the future of Wyoming football, especially, is extremely bright in the more near future, but I think basketball is extremely bright as well. Uh, but football, uh, you know, spring ball is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're taking all of April. They're going to have a spring game in May. Do we think we're going to have a normal season this fall have you heard anything it's probably too far out yeah we just don't know but i'm i I mean i'm really hoping by september 4th when the montana state bobcats come to war memorial stadium things are normal and we can have a packed house and and i really hope that's the case because there's nothing quite like a fall saturday in the in laramie memorial stadium so cody real quickly for those just joining us where can people find your website again oh you can hit us up on 7220sports.com uh we have a further update is brought to you by four corner siding no matter the weather four corner siding can help protect your home your fourth of july weekend in southeast wyoming will feature morning sunshine clouds increasing saturday and Sunday afternoon. Highs in the middle and upper 80s with lows upper 50s. Afternoon and early evening showers and storms possible both days with Monday possibly seeing some more numerous storms heavier rains into Monday afternoon and evening. Highs mid 80s, lows upper 50s. I'm day weather meteorologist Don Watzel. Music is a bridge between the material and the spiritual. My name is Harvey Lauer and I'm 82. As a blind person, you have to be aware that nobody can tell you what you can or can't do. You really have to try things. My folks got me a little radio in 1940, and that was the best Christmas present I ever got. When I was 11 years old is when I started to uh, play music, play the piano, and then the accordion, and then the cello. My wife, who was also blind, was a good cook. When she died, that's when I started Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Halel Newman. Dr. Newman is the uh, Israeli General Counsel for the Southwestern United States, based in Los Angeles. Uh, Dr. Newman, first of all, I understand you're visiting our area today. What, what, what's, what's, what's the purpose of your visit? Uh, hi there. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, yes, uh, the purpose of my visit is to um, meet up with elected officials, the governor, um, business uh, ties, uh, we are uh, with the objective of expanding and enhancing our ties in all spheres between Israel uh, and Wyoming and the entire mountain region. What sort of business ties are there between Israel and Wyoming? 
Well, not enough. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> Uh, well, there's tremendous potential in the relations. Uh, we know the strengths of Wyoming, especially in the field of energy and uh, agriculture and tourism, and the entire mountain region has a lot of potential, and Israel can link up uh, very well with these fields and others. Uh, we would like to bring to the table the field of innovation and perhaps research and development in the field of um, the use of carbon and to try to save jobs of uh, the coal mines and, and things like that. So I think that there's a lot we can do together. We can also learn a lot from Wyoming and the region in the, in the fields of mineral extraction and energy and natural resources and parks. So the idea is to expand and enhance our relations as much as possible. Dr. Newman, why, why aren't there existing ties, do you believe? Uh, well, there are ties, but there's just not enough. I think that there's not enough uh, visits, uh, mutual visits and delegations between Israel and Wyoming and the, and the region. And that's why I came, in order to facilitate and open up a new future of ongoing relations and engagements. Uh, I met also with the Business Alliance, and we discussed different options of working together. And our hope is that we will bring more delegations, whether they be physical or virtual, in order to enhance the contacts. Um, our, our consulate sits in Los Angeles, and uh, not very often do we uh, visit Wyoming. So now we're opening a new future, and I intend to visit quite often in order to uh, expand these contacts for the benefit of all people. Now that the COVID-19 pandemic is at least easing somewhat, do you think that will become a little bit easier? Yes, definitely. Uh, I can just tell you that for, from Israel's perspective, uh, the majority of the population have been vaccinated, and therefore the country has opened up domestically uh, completely. We, we have uh, events with thousands of people. There are no limitations anymore within Israel. And uh, we also believe that we can now enhance uh, contacts uh, with people overseas um, and move forward. Uh, the world is opening up after coronavirus, and coronavirus has actually accelerated many fields of business uh, that are the, are the fields for the future. And uh, Israel is a pioneer and a powerhouse in the fields of innovation, many of them as a result of coronavirus. How, how so is the result of coronavirus? Tell us about that. Sure. Um, well, there's been a shift in the economic world order, I would say. Uh, it began before coronavirus with a shift towards innovation and artificial intelligence. And uh, Israel is really a, uh, a global leader in the different fields of innovation, and they touch every single field of application, uh, whether it's agriculture, irrigation, uh, medicine, uh, automobile industry, just uh, smart mobility, smart cities, all these fields. Now, coronavirus accelerated this trend towards artificial intelligence, self-reliance, streaming services, cyber, cyber uh, services and security, um, uh, all these fields, automation, robotics, uh, these are the fields of the future which base themselves mainly on artificial intelligence. And uh, Israel is lucky to be in, in that position of a global leader and a powerhouse in the fields of innovation. You know, we never had natural resources to rely on. So we developed the field of innovation. And innovation touches on every single field. Modern technology impacts everything today. Well, you, you mentioned Israel doesn't have a lot of natural resources. We have the natural resources here in Wyoming. Um, if you have the innovation, I could see where that could be a successful partnership. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm referring to. That uh, you, you hit it 100%. That 
we can learn from Wyoming, especially in the fields of natural resources and how to extract minerals from the earth. And uh, we might need many things that are extracted from the mining here in Wyoming. And we can share with our experience and knowledge in the fields of innovation and how to um, use modern technology in order to improve access and uh, even vocational training of people that fear that they might lose their jobs or something like that. We can, we can perhaps assist in vocational training and um, preparing the people for the future trends. Okay, I'm speaking with Dr. Halel Newman. Dr. Newman is the uh, Israeli Consul General for the Southwest United States, uh, based in Los Angeles. He's visiting uh, Southeast Wyoming. We are pre-recording this interview on Friday. It will air on Saturday. Uh, Dr. Newman, switching gears uh, back in Israel, uh, there's a ceasefire. How's that holding up with Hamas? Yes, uh, of course, we're very glad that there's a ceasefire, but uh, for a long-term solution, we have to... um disarm the Hamas. The Hamas is a terrorist organization that has encamped itself within the Gaza Strip adjacent to Israel's border on the southern border and they instigate violence according to their own interests and perceived interests and their rivalry with the Palestinian Authority and uh, they instigate violence. They they launch rockets against civilians. Uh, We had more than five million civilians under the threat of rockets. They had to rush to bomb shelters within 15 seconds. This is an impossible reality. Um, you know, they, they talk a lot about uh, relinquishing territory for peace. So Israel did that. Israel gave territory to the Palestinian Authority. The entire Gaza Strip was vacated by Israel. And the result is that we have not received peace. We have received rockets and terrorist attacks. So we have to address this issue. And a long-term solution is has to address the Hamas antagonism and aggression, perhaps disarm them, uh, disable them completely. Now, I'm reading that Iran is largely behind this. Is that correct? Yes, that is 100% correct. Iran, unfortunately, is behind a a lot of the malign activity in the entire Middle East. Uh, Iran is the number one state sponsor of terrorism, and they support proxy military radical groups like the Hamas and the Hezbollah and Palestinian jihad organizations. And they're dead set against the Western values, and Israel represents those Western values. Uh, like liberty and freedom and LGBT rights and things like that. So they attack Israel and they use their proxy groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and they instill unrest in the entire Middle East. You know, Israel has uh, normalized relations with a few Arab countries recently like UAE, Bahrain, Morocco, and Iran uh, is opposing any kind of peace, coexistence or normalization. So they use their proxies to try, try and instill unrest and violence. So, can you solve the problem without dealing with Iran? Uh, Perhaps you're right. We do have to deal with Iran. um, But we also have to deal with the immediate problem, which is the proxy groups themselves, which are Hamas and Hezbollah. So, if we manage, for instance, to cut off the um, supplies or the arms and the military and financial supplies from Iran to Hamas, uh, then we might not solve uh, the Iranian problem, but we can solve the Hamas aggression and uh, violence against civilians. So there are different ways of dealing with the problem. I think that Iran is a long-term, very long-term issue, and uh, we won't see a real change there unless they're under extreme pressure and the regime changes its policy. Uh, But we can deal with the Hamas and the Hezbollah in in different means. And what might those means be, militarily or, or, or diplomatically? Well, we'd like to solve it diplomatically. Um, 
unfortunately, they force us very often to, to reach a military confrontation. When they launch rockets against our civilians, then we have to act in self-defense um, because they, they launch from civilian populated areas against civilian populated areas, which is a double war crime. So we have to act in self-defense. But our hope is that the Hamas may one day choose the path of peace. And maybe they will uh, choose living in coexistence. They haven't cho- chosen that path yet. Um, and we, one way of working with, the, with um, blocking this is by trying to prevent the uh, supply chains, uh, the shipments that come from Iran through Damascus sometimes to, to the Hamas. Um, they're, so we have to act in different ways in order to prevent a strengthening of uh, the Hamas. Now, on the positive side, from what I've read, your Iron Dome missile defenses have worked pretty well. Is that correct? Yes, it is wonderful. It's had a 90% success rate in interception of rockets. I mean, the, the Hamas launched more than 4,000 rockets against uh, the state of Israel, um, and the majority, 90%, were intercepted mid-air. And this is a wonderful model of cooperation between Israel and the United States because the Iron Dome was developed in collaboration between the United States and Israel. And now the uh, Iron Dome uh, interceptors are even deployed in the United States to save American lives. Dr. Newman, are are you at all concerned about um, possibly some growing political support in in the American Congress for Hamas? Well, I hope not. I hope that everyone sane in their mind would not support Hamas, which is a terrorist organization. You know, Hamas is is a declared terrorist organization not only by Israel and the United States, but even by Arab countries and the uh, European countries and Australia and other places. So there's wide consensus on the fact that Hamas is a terrorist organization. And uh, I can only pity those who who feel some kind of solidarity with the Hamas. They're totally um, misled, uh, if not worse than that. Um, I don't see uh, much support for Hamas in the Congress. I think there's a large, wide consensus of support of the relationship between Israel and the United States in the Congress, uh, both in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. And we've seen also the wonderful support of President Biden. Um, and so um, we, we are very confident in the relationship. You know, the relationship is beyond any specific individual or party. It's a bipartisan relationship based on fundamental values. Dr. Newman, in terms of the ceasefire, obviously a ceasefire is not probably going to be a permanent solution. Where, where do we go from here in terms of, of uh, achieving fee, uh, peace in this situation? Well, um, our policy has been to, to show the path of economic viability so that the Palestinian people would choose the way of peace and coexistence. And we've done that um, in a big way with the Palestinian Authority. If one visits, for instance, Ramallah in the West Bank, uh, which is the center of the Palestinian Authority, then you'll see a thriving city uh, which was enabled by Israel. Uh, Israel assists the Palestinian Authority in this cooperation in many ways. Unfortunately, there are radicals within the Palestinian Authority and especially the Hamas in the Gaza Strip and Islamic Jihad organizations, and they have chosen from the beginning uh, the path of conflict. You know, they have not recognized Israel and they, there's not a dispute about water or territories they refuse to um, come to terms with the existence of the state of Israel in any border. So uh, the long-term path is that the Palestinian people must choose, must choose the way of peace and coexistence instead of the path of confrontation like Hamas. Uh, we must show them the two options, 
One option is economic viability and coexistence and livelihood, success and prosperity. And the other one is death and devastation, which is offered by the Hamas. Dr. Newman, looking again at the long-term situation in regard to Iran, how concerned are you about Iran developing a nuclear weapon that might be used against Israel? We are extremely concerned. We see that as the number one existential threat, not only to Israel, but to to the West uh, West in general. Uh, We must do everything, and we will do everything, in order to make sure that Iran does not have military nuclear capability. That is also the uh, stated policy of the United States. Um, We may have differences of opinion about what is the best uh, path to do that and to prevent Iran, but the objective is clear. We must prevent Iran from a nuclear capability, um, and Israel will do everything that is necessary in order to make sure that that, uh, that Iran does not have military nuclear capability. Now, my understanding is that uh, Mr. Ahmadinejad, uh, who's a hardliner, has announced he's running for president of Iran again. Is that a big concern? Well, you know, it doesn't really make a big difference. Uh, the presidents and the supreme leader are, um, are very close, uh, intimate in their policy. There's no real distinction, for instance, between the supreme leader and the president. That's a um, the deception on the behalf of uh, Iran, where they try to uh, try to give this impression as if there's a moderate uh, president and a, uh, a conservative supreme leader. They're aligned in their policy and in their ambitions. Their ambitions are to instill unrest in the entire Middle East. They've already expanded their influence all the way from Tehran to Damascus to the Mediterranean Sea. Um, so Iran is a threat. Iran is a threat to the entire Western world, in their terrorism um, and their nuclear capability. Dr. Newman, I've asked you questions for the past 15 minutes. What would you like to tell our listeners? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'd like to tell your listeners that uh, Israel is a strong friend and ally of the United States in general, and especially of uh, Wyoming and the mountain region, and that we believe that there's tremendous potential in our relationship. Uh, we can enhance our trade and business ties, um, and um, we should. Uh, pe- pe- people can follow our updates and our sites of the Consulate General of Israel in Los Angeles. And anyone who would like to enhance uh, their business ties or cultural ties with Israel is invited to, to make contact with us at the Consulate in LA. And we visit quite often, and we'll be glad to uh, promote such meetings and ties between local people and the state of Israel. Dr. Newman, I appreciate your time this morning, and welcome to Wyoming. Thank you very much, and good luck and good health to all your listeners and to you. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Bye. Speaking with uh, Tom Laycock, Associate State Director for the American Association of Retired Persons. Good morning, Tom. Well, hello, Doug. Thanks for having me. Now, the topic this week is fraud. I'm going to bring up a fraud that I've been targeted with here recently because I know I'm not the only one. Somebody keeps calling my cell phone and claim, claiming they're from the, quote, processing center and that I owe back taxes. I don't owe back taxes, and I know that the IRS uh, doesn't call you, and when they do call you, if they did, they wouldn't call themselves the processing center. I will say, however, whoever's perpetrating this fraud sounds very convincing. Is this one you've heard of? This is. So this is otherwise known as the imposter scam. Um, So we see a lot of this, everything from IRS to uh, Treasury agents and even local police. And, you know, I mean, one thing that we we tell people again and again is these folks will not call you uh, with something like this. But this is is an oldie but a goodie. 
and in fact the IRS is, uh, is, is kind of tired of it themselves and so they're asking for anyone that gets this particular scam to call them and I'll give you the number that they'd like to, to have you call them okay 800-366-4484 or you can go to TIGTA.gov to report it because frankly they're sick of it too <laughs> Now, Tom, one, inter one interesting thing with this scam, I happened to post about it on my Facebook page, and one of my Facebook friends said, hey, they just called me, too. Is there some way they could have tracked our numbers to get on this list because we're Facebook friends or anything of that nature, or do we know? So we're not quite sure if, if that's the case. That, that's, that's certainly, a, I suppose, a possibility. But one thing that we've, we've talked uh, at length about with, with folks is the fact that in, in the past we've seen... Um, We've seen a number of, you know, what the, what folks will do is they will go to a legitimate um, call center mm -hmm. and uh, just have that call center start doing phone numbers. And as soon as they get working phone numbers, um, that's those are the, the ones that those working phone numbers are sold. I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as they get working phone numbers, then they sell those working phone numbers. Um, and, and they're, you know... They don't necessarily know who they're sending them to, um, but it's certainly, you know, it's something that uh, the, they can send to, to folks who are trying to pull the scam. People who are, you know, uh, some legitimate people as well as those that might be a little bit less, but they do pick up a set number of dollars uh, per working phone number that they get. And so I get, I'll get a number of the calls where people call and it's from a number that you may know or may not know, and they call that spoofing where they right. use someone else's phone number um, that to make it look more legitimate and uh, I'll get the call and, and when you pick up you hear nothing on the other side and mm -hmm. so one thing that we've actually done in the past we had someone at AARP put together a, a news story on this for us and it's actually worked pretty well for me to knock down the number of scam calls that I get but pick up and don't say anything right so pick a you know and, and you'll get the beep beep at the end because what happens in a lot of cases if it goes to voicemail that comes up as a working number uh-huh and so that will be, you know, tracked off to somebody else. Um, you know, that'll be tracked off to somebody else as they're selling those numbers. So just pick up. If it's somebody who's legitimate, they'll say hello. Um, but, you know, in a lot of cases, these tend to be sort of voice-activated robo-dials. And I think you bring up an important point that I'm not sure everybody's aware of, although I think most folks are at this point, and that is just because it says it's a Cheyenne number or a Wyoming number, that doesn't mean it is. Absolutely, absolutely. That's the beauty of the spoof is a long time ago, uh, scammers figured out that folks are more likely to pick up if they feel like it's a Wyoming number, a Cheyenne number, someone that they know. In fact, uh, a couple months ago, I got spoofed for my own number. I've, I've heard of people doing or hearing that, yes. Yeah, um, and, and, I, and, and I'm a jerk. Apparently, I'm, <laughs> apparently I'm scamming myself. Um, so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the, the next step uh, with those phone calls. One time in the not-too-distant past, it was a Cheyenne number. I picked up the number, and I thought, well, it could be legit. So I called the guy back. He goes, I don't know. Somebody's using my number. So, I mean, they can use an active phone number. As you said, they can use an active phone number. I don't know how this all works, but uh, it's, it's a new facet to this that's something, uh, that something people do need to be aware of. Well, and, you know, you had mentioned um, the, the imposter scam, the IRS processing center calling you mm -hmm. uh, or you know I, I get a lot of them for student loans that I haven't had for 20 years mm -hmm. uh, and I think the one thing we ask people is if you really if you think it could be legitimate hang up 
find the legitimate phone number for them in the phone book or online and call that number. Uh-huh. So if it's legitimate, they'll get you to the right person. Absolutely. So never, be af- never be afraid to, to hang up and, and call a legitimate number that you can confirm is, in fact, you know, in this case, the IRS. Now, in the past, and these scams were not quite as well executed, but I've gotten what sounded like a recording, from again, from the IRS. And just to clarify, they don't call you by phone. They mail you stuff, but not everybody knows that. I got a recorded uh, recording that sounded fairly fairly serious and fairly believable. Now, when I, just, to, just to mess around with them, I called the number. It was some foreigners. I could barely understand what they were saying. That was not one of the more well-executed scams, but this latest one... <laughs> I've got to give the, the, the gal credit who, who uh, left him, and she left a message on my phone, did it a couple times, and she sounded really believable. She was obviously a native English speaker. She sounded friendly, professional, so it, uh, it, it, it takes some awareness on your part, and, and you know, you've got to be very careful with this because you can get fooled if you're not careful. Absolutely correct, especially, you know, scammers have, they've, they're, it's a much more uh, in-depth, Process than just calling someone and hoping to get their money. Uh-huh. I mean, there's there's really a hope that uh, they try to appeal to your emotional side. And one thing we tell folks is, if someone's demanding action quickly, um, that's that's a concern. That's a sign. If someone's saying, "I need a credit card now," um, you know, take a step back because they're trying to get you emotional. They're trying to get you out of your out of that place where the frontal lobe is working and and you know, really working through the logic of whether or not this is legitimate and, and getting you to a place that's that's very emotional. Uh-huh. Um, and, and the biggest one that, that we see over the last couple of years is that Social Security imposter scam. I've gotten that call, too. And I, I haven't even collected Social Security, but they, I, they either don't know that or don't care. I think it's the second. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, in 2020, the Social Security Office of the Inspector General received over 700,000 reports of Social Security imposter scam in 70% of the calls to the AARP Fraud Watch Network helpline related to Social Security imposters. So this is extremely common then? Very. And, you know, unfortunately it's common because it's worked. Right. They wouldn't keep um, doing so these things if it didn't work, unfortunately. That's right. So just remember, and it's a numbers game. I mean, they don't they don't care if you call and, and yell at them and and whatnot for them. It's a matter of getting you off the phone if you're not going to take the bait and moving on to the next person. Hey, I want to jump back to something you said a moment ago because I should have asked about it and I neglected to do so. Why uh, why should you answer your phone and just not say anything as opposed to letting it go to voicemail? Is there a reason for that? You know, maybe it may come up as a deadline. Oh, okay. And at that point, that becomes a number that they're not going to sell to anyone from um, telemarketers to, you know, on purpose or otherwise to an imposter. Uh-huh. Now, I've heard of a... No- Go ahead. I was going to say, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know, I've, I've picked up and said nothing, and then all of a sudden the UPS truck is driven by, and my dogs have let folks know that that is a working line. <laughs> well, speaking of the UPS, that brings up another scam. Apparently, I'm a scam, for, a scam target for these folks, I'll tell you what, because I've gotten one, and this one is a text message. It's not a phone message. I've gotten a text message claiming that my package from UPS was uh, was either on the way or here, and you need to click on this link. Well, of course, I hadn't ordered anything. Uh, but this is a pretty common scam, too, from what I've heard. We're seeing a lot of that right now. Um, and then usually they give you a link to, to take you somewhere else, and, and it looks very good because it's not that tough to actually uh, go through and, and re-put together a website. In fact, we're one of the big scams that we're seeing right now 
has to do with rental property scams. And, and what, uh, what the scammers are doing is they're stealing photos of real properties off the Internet mm-hmm. and then advertising these rentals at, at a rock-bottom price. And so you start talking via email, you find this terrific deal on a rental home um, you know, down in down south where you, know, uh, you, know, you can get away for a little while. And, uh, you know, the, the big piece that we, we tell folks to avoid right there and then is the fact renters are asking, uh, they're being asked for payment right away, right. almost always, through a gift card. And that's a dead giveaway right there. That's right. So if, if anyone's asking you to pay for anything through a gift card, stop what you're doing, hang up. Well, and surprisingly, I've heard of scams supposedly involving law enforcement where you owe a fine and they're going to issue a warrant for your arrest if you don't send them a gift card right away. Now, common sense, in my opinion, would dictate that, you know, the Laramie County Sheriff's Office is not going to take payment on a gift card. But again, it apparently <laughs> it must work. They keep doing it. Absolutely. Well, and, and you know, so we did, AARP did, a, uh, a, did some polling in the last year. And, um, you know, the question being, if, if someone directs you to pay a debt or obligation with a gift card, is it a scam? And, and it seems like, you know, off, you know, off the top of your head, you'd say yes. But actually, one in four people sur- surveyed by AARP got the question wrong. That is surprising. And uh, we've seen a huge influx the storm. in gift cards being used Fox News. Uh, Hurricane Elsa has been downgraded back to a tropical storm, but search one. and rescue crews uh, in Surfside, Florida are still concerned find. it could uh, cause problems early next week and at so the site of the tower that collapse. With the Governor the Ron DeSantis says demolition... Now, another scam or another, I guess, mode of payment that these scammers will use, according to what I've been told by people in law enforcement, is go get a green dot debit card to Walmart and pay me with that. What's What's the, what's the advantage to, for them to do that? Once again, it's, it's that same piece of it. It's the card numbers are real easy. You know, these gift cards are put together so that you could share money quickly and easily. Right. And, um, you know, in some ways, unfortunately, they kind of uh, made like Now, first and foremost, if it's a gift card, it's a scam. Hang up. What are some other big red flags? You know, one thing we're seeing right now is Scam where where email or phone calls will impersonate a big box retailer. Think that you're owned owed a refund. You have a phone number that you need to call, or you just click a link to get processed. What ends up happening in a lot of cases is you get to a scammer who will say, you know, hey, this is really great news. You know, I need to remote access your device and get paid. Right. Right. So convince you to sign into your bank account so that they show you the deposit. On site, um, and then they will actually take you to a fake page, company, which, um, where they say, oh, shoot, what it calls you know what, I'm supposed to give you $100, I give you $10,000. They need to get that money back. Right. And, uh, and, and they'll do the thing, oh, my gosh, my boss is going to fire me if he finds out. So let's just keep this quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they'll, they'll take back the money, but the thing is, they never put the money into the first place. Carmen so Roberts. We're able to get dollars out of your bank account. So, you know, once again, um, if, if they're asking you to purchase a gift card, celebrate America's birthday with Fox um, News Radio. Or, or know that uh, you know that Fox News is don't work for them. And if uh, someone asks you to buy something that they have an obligation, now something similar to that sort of. Uh, hey, you just won the Irish sweepstakes. You won two million dollars, but we need some money for processing fees. That's a scam, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, we're seeing, you know, we've seen that. 
for, for quite some time. Celebrate this um, you know, but, you know something Fox else to kind of consider is just the fact that uh, there are some ways that, that you can keep yourself close to all this. And, okay. and, you know, uh, a couple of things that, that we have told people in the past is, you know, three steps to keep yourself uh, protected from identity fraud. The first is place the security street on your credit account. It's a three big agency, no one can open the line of Okay. My family's done this. It doesn't take very long. You do have to make sure you keep your username and password quick. We have had, um, after we did that, we've had letters of um, people denying us Fox's credit cards, people denying us wind phones. We've had a number of things where that credit freeze really saved us from people who have no data breaches. You get your information, your information, and really, you know, name address, social number, or driver's license number. In a lot of cases, Tom, I, I think you've probably heard of this, perhaps not, but recently the Wyoming Department of Health announced that something like 160,000 people um, accidentally had some of their personal information uploaded to a website. Now, it wasn't bank account numbers. Um, I think it was just names and addresses. Do those people need to be concerned? Um, I think if you are concerned, calling the Wyoming Department of Health is, is the way to go. I know that they did put out some information last week. On um, you know, there have been a few people that had been um, attempted to be scammed out of out of that particular data breach. But uh, unfortunately, I don't have a, a ton of detail on that. And the Department of Health has offered up a. Uh, their phone number um, to help folks who have gotten into that place. Now, one thing I will remind people uh, at, at this point is is that you know the AARP has a fraud watch network. Okay. That's av- that's available. That's aarp.org and then backslash fraud watch network. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the thing one of the services that they have there is they have trained volunteers who, if you feel like you have been scammed, you can call them and they will take you through next steps. They will talk about. Okay, you think this happened? Here's probably where you should go. In a lot of cases, unfortunately, we have to tell you. The best of Sean Hannity is on now. The other thing that they tell us um, more often than not is uh, everyone, you know, looks at these families that we do, and they say, "So what on earth? You know, how could someone not do that?" But the fact of the matter is, some folks don't, and because they feel. Take it advantage of them. They're a big fan of taking it up any other step. 
The Republican leader uses the language and the logic of the Southern senators in the 60s who defended states' rights, and it is an indefensible position. So the Fraud Watch Network is free to everyone. You don't have to be an AEF member. You don't have to be 50 and over. You sign up, they're not filling anything. All they're doing is they're sending you watchdog alerts. Well, as far as being embarrassed, I would refer back to uh, the scam I, I, I spoke about a few minutes ago. This lady was good. I mean, some of these people are professionals, and they uh, they make their living this way, and, and we're not talking about amateurs in some cases. They can make themselves sound very convincing. Right, hour two, Sean Hannity Show, 800-941-SEAN, our number, you want to be a part of the program. Uh, if you are and have been a regular listener to this program, you've heard the name Eddie Gallagher before. We talked about it a lot. Uh, Navy SEAL, actually now retired. Um, well, you know, he was put on trial for murder and other serious mm-hmm. crimes vague. that yeah, he was I mean, accused of looking around, looking by committing, the, you know, uh, of committing by the U.S. To, government during you know, his last deployment, which was in Mosul, and it captured national, so, okay, international media attention. And, and, um, and it, so it became things, a polarizing issue why I'm not fully, so completely sure. Um, I think there was some the politics internet, involved in it. That was always my you know, personal opinion. Ultimately so, acquitted you know, of the most serious charges. Tom, are people anyway, safe dealing um, on he's eBay? Now Can telling you get ripped off on eBay? Uh, I want to go back you know first I before I introduce uh, him that, to you and out of play my, his brother. He was actually on this show. Realm of um, okay. We followed this case closely from the I beginning. I did have a friend a couple of years ago who told Sean me, and I got the second hand, but claimed that he, he paid for a truck in Arizona on eBay and the scammers ran off with it. And I, I don't know anything more he about that. He fulfilled the same tradition that we have of joining the service. Go ahead. His uncles and grandparents enlisted at a high school and became a medic, then a Marine Scout sniper, and then a Navy SEAL, which has been for 14 years. It's been an eight combat tour, like you mentioned, racking up accolade after accolade. I mean, if you were to literally create or imagine what a modern day war hero would be, it'd be Eddie. Now, he's just like any other special operator. He's humble. He would say that I'm just like the rest of the guys, but even among his peers, he stands out. So my brother was in charge of his platoon. Trump and the president tasked him with almost the impossible to clear out ISIS from Mosul. They're deeply embedded. There is intense weeks of heavy firefighting, of combat. Of the gruelous caliber. Right. You know, my brother's don't called me on every single one of his eight combat right deployments, every single one. And hardly is he described an enemy as cool and as violent and as just disgusting as ISIS. And so, and this so, isn't in the question, and I want to state from the beginning that everything that's been said is, and if I can use this right phrase, it's fake news in a way. It's just complete fabrication to rumor. And what happened is that these rumors ruined and snowballed where investigators took them and believed them at face value. And so, for a year now, our family I would mention a couple others that I've picked up from my interviews with law enforcement over the years. One is, you're probably not going to win a contest you didn't enter. That you mentioned. Which, I mean, that sounds simple, but I've known of people who fell for it. The other one is, the if they tell you you want a prize, but you need to, to fork out some money to win the 
surprised that's also generally a scam. They're treating him, and then he expires. Absolutely. And the, absolutely. the accusation against my brother so, is that um, this already dying yeah, fighter, I, I my brother killed, which did not happen. Tom, I got another one a while back, and again, I, I got on somebody's list. Unfortunately, I haven't actually given anybody any money, but apparently somebody put me on their list. I got a text scam claiming that I owed a $6,000 medical bill, and I had to pay right now. Well, I knew I didn't have but again, that's another donate, scam I've been hit with. Apparently, somebody's falling for it, or they wouldn't use it. This time in history, that we have a president that we're hoping can come to our assistance that would look at the grievous nature of his treatment of the abuse of power by NCIS and prosecutors and come to our aid. Justiceforeddie.com. All right, joining us now is Navy SEAL Chief, now retired Eddie Gallagher's wife Andrea, join us. Their new book it's on Hannity.com, Amazon.com, and now in bookstores everywhere as they tell their story the man in the arena from fighting ISIS to fighting for my freedom uh, welcome both of you you know as I as oh I really now that's when I had your story unfold and, and, and it became very <laughs> odd to me because apparently I guess there's a I, I guess a there's, a political, a there's a political side to everything, if that's uh, a good message, way to put it. And, and so some people made allegations against you, and the irony is, based on all the evidence I And these, these are real clergy people. They're using real names. It was actually you that was trying to right. save his life. Right. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, and if you do that, though, they will make sure to, you know, go ahead and reimburse you further down the road. Now, this also has been happening that some guys told and then so once those white lies got in the hands of NCIS, email address, uh, which is the Navy's version mm-hmm. of the FBI, so we've just seen the employees investigatory body email. Those I'm people supposed believe their those white lies, and then they themselves were forced to lie. And everybody that got involved from that point on, ask if you've ever had no, you know, they were lying, cheating, stealing, like trying to put me away. For life, Ask yourself if um, this person really asked me to do yeah, this. Yeah, it, it and then contact the person yourself and get validation. Who decided they didn't they like me, they were at my mission, and, and they just, wanted to you know, start my rumors to ruin my reputation. Sends me this email now, to take what by really a happened in that fight for Mosul? Let's, let's go back to this, this horrific time and why there were these few people that apparently in the SEAL platoon, one that actually, if I Tom, we're down to about a minute left. Is there anything you the want to mention that we haven't covered yeah. so far? Yeah. So basically, these three guys. You know, I, I, that think, were, uh, um, I think we covered quite a bit of what's going on around green, uh, uh, Cheyenne they had in Wyoming uh, lately. No real no, combat another experience for the uh, AARP front and this was no their first combat again. deployment. And what they found out over the job is not for them during that deployment. It was very chaotic and very busy. I had 23 guys in the platoon, and these three individuals just decided that this job wasn't for them and that. Thanks, Tom. Talk to you later. The rub date is brought to you by Four Corner Siding. No matter the weather, Four Corner Siding can help protect your home. Your 4th of July weekend in southeast Wyoming will feature morning sunshine, clouds increasing Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Highs in the middle and upper 80s with lows upper 50s. Afternoon and early evening showers and storms possible both days with Monday, possibly seeing some more numerous storms, heavier rains into Monday afternoon and evening. Highs mid 80s, lows upper 50s. I'm day weather meteorologist Don Watzel. Hey, we missed you at the game last week. Is everything all right? I uh, just haven't been feeling like me lately. You know I'm here for you, right? That's a cut. Beautiful. Acting is one thing. Talking about suicide in real life 
is another. In the military, you take challenges head on. And now it's your turn to do the same for our veterans. Be there. Learn how you can start the conversation at BeThereForVeterans.com. East Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're in tune with the uh, Weekend in Wyoming program. On the phone, I have Dr. Thomas Peter Martin of the University of Wyoming. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you well, thanks. Okay, now, Dr. Martin, uh, get, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all. Okay, well, um, I grew up in um, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, from there I got my undergraduate degree in material science and engineering from um, University of Washington in uh, Seattle, and after that I went and uh, got a PhD in um, material science and engineering from the University of Florida, um, which is a top 10 uh, ranked engineering school. Um, so my background isn't specifically in nuclear physics, but it is in um, materials and materials design and things like that, which um, obviously are critical uh, going into a reactor, uh, no pun intended. Um, you know, most reactor accidents happen um, due to materials failures, and so, um, you know, after that, I... Uh, I came back and uh, was looking for a job. Uh, my background was in the semiconductor industry mainly, um, but I noticed that the University of Wyoming needed something to run their transmission electron microscope, and I uh, had a lot of experience with that. So I took that job, and uh, I really enjoyed it out here in Wyoming. Um, I love the uh, climate. I love the um, kind of culture and the people. Um, it's only a 12-hour, well, nine-hour drive from uh, home, and, uh, um, you know, I actually enjoy teaching a lot more than I thought I would. Um, I teach class several times a year on the electron microscope. Uh, I'm just finishing up one uh, next week, so um, let's have a little bit of background on myself. Now, Dr. Martin, the reason I invited you on the show was that uh, you sent us a letter saying you have grave concerns, uh, and that's the word you, fra uh, you the uh, phrase you used, grave concerns about the proposed Wyoming nuclear reactor. Is that correct? Uh, yes, it is. Um, and um, the primary concern I have is, um, well, there's, there's two concerns I have. Um, one is that um, because this is um, being sponsored, um, you know, in, uh, by the private sector. Um, I want to um, make sure that the design is thoroughly vetted by somebody who has no ties to um, the people sponsoring it or their money. Um, so basically, a third party needs to review the design in detail. Um, I looked very closely online uh, for everything I could find about this reactor and it was all quite um, it was all quite vague. It gave a few details that I was able to glean but none of the um, you know more intricate design details that I might be able to say you know this is a safe design or this is a not safe design. So I think there needs to be an independent audit of it um, before it's approved. That's one thing that concerns me. The second thing that concerns me is that this is a 
liquid sodium cooled reactor. So most, um, well, so, uh, a little bit of background is that um, basically every nuclear reactor has what's known as a primary coolant loop and a secondary coolant loop. And so the primary loop is what runs through the reactor core and absorbs the heat from the um, fission and the decay product and they're generated in the core. And that superheated fluid then goes through a heat exchanger where the heat is transferred to a secondary loop uh, where steam is produced and that then drives a turbine and generates electricity. Now, in their primary loop, um, most um, commercial reactors uh, use water um, which has several advantages and several downsides. Um, but this particular reactor is using sodium, uh, which also has several advantages and downsides. Um, the biggest downside is that, well, there's two downsides. One is that sodium is a very strong neutron absorber. It becomes highly radioactive when it passes through say the core of a nuclear reactor where there's neutrons present. Um, and the second, of course, is that um, sodium is a very reactive metal. I'm sure many people have seen demonstrations where a piece of solid sodium is um, thrown in water and it burns very violently. Um, and so, of course, liquid sodium that's been superheated, if it's exposed to air, it will also burn violently. Um, so any leak in their primary cooling system will create an intensely radioactive fire. So that's a big concern then by itself. Yes. So they have to be very careful in how they design their primary coolant loop to ensure that there's absolutely uh, no possibility of leak. And they're going to have to have some kind of inspection schedule to make sure um, that the materials they build their primary coolant loop um, piping out of uh, don't degrade over time because neutrons um, do tend to degrade most uh, metal alloys over time. Um, Dr. Martin, if sodium is such a concern, why not just use water for this reactor? Uh, well, so um, what they're building is something called a fast reactor. So um, water is typically used in um, what are known as uh, moderated reactors. So um, when a neutron comes from an atom after it's been fissioned, it has a lot of kinetic energy. And um, when you have water in the reactor core, that acts to uh, thermalize it, essentially. So through scattering events off the water, um, the neutron loses energy, and when it's at a lower energy, it actually has a higher probability of um, colliding with a fissile atom and visioning it. Um, so they want to use a fast reactor, so sodium will not moderate um, the neutron in the same manner that water will. So It'll absorb some of them, but the one that doesn't absorb will pass right through it and maintain their kinetic energy. And this allows them to um, burn up heavier isotopes of plutonium, let's say, than um, a moderated reactor. So isotopes like plutonium 
240, 242, uh, things like that that are usually nuclear waste can be used as fuel. And because it has better neutron economy, it actually produces more fuel than it consumes, so it's considered a breeder reactor. Um, one downside of this design is because there's a lower probability of a fission event happening per neutron, they need to use more highly enriched fuel. So a normal reactor um, might only need to be enriched to say 5%, this might need to be enriched to say 20 or even 30%. Okay, and obviously I'm just a layman and I don't pretend to be otherwise, so I'll ask what may be a stupid question. If that's the case, does that mean a, an accident here could be five times as uh, violent as an accident with a water-cooled reactor? Um, well, it depends on the mechanism of uh, the accident. So, okay. Um, in Fukushima, for example, several things went wrong. Um, so they did shut down um, the fission process, um, but a nuclear reactor generates about 20% of its power um, from the decay heat of the um, fission byproduct. So when an atom fissions, it um, splits into two atoms, and those two atoms are generally um, radioactive themselves, and those decay, and as they decay, they release heat and that contributes to the heat generated by the reactor. And so in Fukushima what happened is they weren't able to keep the, cool, the core cool, and so the heat from the decay byproduct built up until it melted down, and then um, because they were using water in their reactor, um, the zirconium uh, piping, once it heated up enough, um, zirconium will react with water, and when it does, um, that'll release hydrogen gas, which I exploded. Um, so that's what happened there. In this case, um, Bill Gates, in or at least uh, the, uh, the company TerraPower, uh, claims that they have, uh, quote unquote, a passive cooling system where um, in the event of a shutdown, Instead of having to run water through the core, that just natural convection of air will allow it to dissipate the decay heat. Um, now that's a claim they've made. I haven't seen anything in literature validating um, that uh, their design can actually do that. Um, but that begs another question, which is um, how well contained is this if it relies upon convection? Um, so. Um, that's another potential concern is if it's open to the air essentially and you have air circulating through it and then you have say a sodium leak um, that would make it much easier for that radioactive sodium to escape. Okay, I'm speaking with Dr. Thomas Peter Martin from the University of Wyoming. We're discussing uh, the proposed uh, nuclear reactor that uh, was announced recently. And by the way, at 11.33, I'm going to replay an interview that Glenn Woods did this week uh, with the governor about that reactor. Um, by the way, we are taking calls. If anybody has any questions or comments, 632-3323. So, Dr. Martin, um, if I'm understanding you correctly, you have some concerns about some claims with the safety mechanism that you considered questionable. Would that be an accurate summary? Yes. So um, I think um, 
Well, first of all, um, the easiest way to test their claims would be, um, you know, to set up um, resistive heating elements that don't have any nuclear material. Mm-hmm. Um, to a worst case scenario type temperature and see if the convective uh, mechanism works. Um, I haven't seen any evidence that that test has been performed. Um, Another uh, concern with that particular um, safety feature is that if it's using um, the natural convection of air, um, basically as the air is heated, the warm air will rise and draw in cool air. Um, then it has to essentially be open to atmosphere uh, instead of being in a containment vessel. And so if it is, then um, if the sodium uh, primary coolant loop were to develop a leak, it would, um, as I said earlier, uh, burn violently. Uh, The sodium would, of course, be intensely radioactive um, from exposure to neutrons in the core. And because sodium is um, so common in um, pretty much all life forms, it would be uptaken very readily if it made it in the atmosphere and precipitated out. So this sounds, and again, I'm a layman and I'm not trying to sensationalize this, but if I'm understanding you correctly, this sounds like a potentially very dangerous situation. Is that accurate? Yes, potentially if the proper safeguards aren't taken. Um, Sodium-cooled reactors have been used in the past. Um, I've looked at the history of sodium reactors. Several have been shut down due to um, minor accidents and sodium fires that were contained. Um, The question is, um, would this reactor be able to contain a sodium fire if one were to happen? Um, And the other question, I guess, would be, um, you know, uh, what materials are they using in their piping? And a final concern is that, um, so a one benefit of a liquid metal cooled reactor is you can get away with using um, lower pressures because um, water, of course, boils at a relatively low temperature, right. and sodium doesn't boil until a very high temperature. Um, so you can heat it much higher and um, get better thermal efficiency. Um, the problem being that um, if the reactor is shut down for any reason, then that liquid metal coolant will solidify. And once it does that, it's almost impossible to restart the reactor. So a little bit of history in this regard, um, the Soviets um, and their Alpha-class submarines used a lead bismuth eutectic cooled nuclear reactor um, basically, again, a liquid metal cool reactor, and it gave great performance at a very um, small size, which is what they were aiming for. The problem is that whenever there was an uh, accident in the reactor that called for shutting it down, then the coolant would solidify, and the reactor was basically um, permanently disabled. They had to replace the entire unit. And so this puts a great deal of pressure on the reactor operators to potentially overlook um, encroaching safety concerns 
in the interest of keeping the reactor critical so that it doesn't um, essentially have to be rebuilt. Um, so I want to make sure that you know proper protocols are in place and enforced um, so that an operator doesn't um, push the boundaries of what would be considered acceptable in an effort to save the reactor. So you're, you're concerned about economic concerns overriding safety concerns in a nutshell? Yes. Now, Dr. Martin, uh, this, of course, is all on the drawing board. It hasn't been constructed yet. They don't even know for sure where they're going to build it. Could they make changes in the, um, in the plans for this to make it safer that would address your concerns? Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, um, I haven't even seen the plans for the reactor because they're um, proprietary, I believe, at this point. Um, I think to address my concerns, um, the primary thing that would need to be done is to have an outside consulting firm um, that has a, um, a good reputation um, examine this um, they could do it under a non-disclosure agreement if um, Terra Power is concerned about their design leaking. Um, but we basically need somebody who has no financial incentives to... Update is brought to you by Four Corner Siding. No matter the weather, Four Corner Siding can help protect your home. Your 4th of July weekend in Southeast Wyoming will feature morning sunshine, clouds increasing Saturday and Sunday afternoon. Highs in the middle and upper 80s with lows upper 50s. Afternoon and early evening showers and storms possible both days with Monday. Possibly seeing some more numerous storms, heavier rains into Monday afternoon and evening. Highs mid 80s, lows upper 50s. I'm day weather meteorologist Don Watson. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos? Which are all so miniaturized, obviously, because they have to go into a submarine. Probably? It's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. You should wait 30 minutes. Okay, tell me what to do. Oh, I have a cramp. And and whatnot. I can um, probably kind of hit the green from here. Levels. Probably. Um, I would say potentially that you might want to have. Can I get a mulligan? Um, Ready to go. Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. And, and outside, yeah, I'm probably okay. Um, probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. You accidentally cut your daughter's bangs unevenly. Do you A, line things up a centimeter from her hairline? Oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. No, 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 sweatbands are so hot right now. Everyone's wearing them, like that basketball player and that other basketball player. B. It's spiritual. Mom, where did all the mirrors go? A reflection could never capture our true selves. Huh? Beauty is within? Oh. C. Look on the bright side. Less time blow drying, more time texting. Or D. 
show empathy. Mom, you really don't have Twinsy! I kind of love it. (laughs) As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. Very closely examine the design and potentially test some of these claims on their own uh, would be a good, um, you know, a good safeguard. It's sort of like um, if you had a car company that um, was trying to sell you a car and they claimed that they had performed these um, tests and they say this is the safest car you know, that's ever been built and it'll survive an accident, non, non, non. You wouldn't want to buy that car unless those claims have been reviewed by um, the National Transportation Board, for instance, right? Um, you wouldn't just take the company's word for it. You'd want um, a third party to look in and verify that, yes, these claims are true or no, they're exaggerating their claims. So, um, at this point, I can't say whether it's one or the other. I just don't have enough information. Um, but what I can say is there's sort of, um, uh, what would the word be? Um, it's sort of like um, designing a fireplace, right? Um, it's a very good thing to have in your home. It will heat your house. It will um, do it at a good price. Um, but if it's poorly designed, um, you can buy carbon monoxide poisoning or it could start a fire or it could cause other problems. So it has to be done properly. And so um, there's building codes for where fireplaces are built and how they're built. And all I'm saying is that we need something similar for this because it's basically a giant fireplace that's generating power. Um, the only difference is that in this case, if there's an accident, it could potentially affect a large region of the state because even though the half-life of the radioactive sodium is only 15 hours, um, depending on the amount released, it could take many half-lives for it to decay away to the point where it was safe. And with the winds the way they are in Wyoming, it could spread by a distance. Dr. Martin, it looks like we have a caller. Good morning, caller. You're on the air. Yeah, yes, sir. I got got a question. If it's so dangerous, why are we even building in the state of Wyoming? Well, um, that is um, another thing that came to mind is that um, if uh, Gates and company are so convinced that their uh, design is safe, then why aren't they building it in a state like California that already... Bingo! Right on! (laughs) Right on, dude! Excellent point! You have a great day, sir. Bye-bye! So so you think Wyoming maybe is is being chosen because we we don't have experience regulating these type of projects and they might think that they can get it through more easily? Is that sort of what you're saying? Well, I think Wyoming might be being chosen simply because it's um, aside from Alaska, the most sparsely populated uh, state in the country. Mm-hmm. And so 
if there were to be an accident, the number of people exposed would be smaller than if they built it somewhere else. And so their liability would then potentially be lower. Um, that thought has crossed my mind. Um, I'm not sure if their reasoning or their official reasoning for building it out here. I mean, obviously, if we can land this deal and, you know, get this outside income in the state or in the state budget crisis, um, then that would be a wonderful thing for the state. Um, but we have to make sure it's done safely and that we're not just being used as essentially a lab rat. Dr. Martin, we're down to just a couple minutes left here. In, in summary, if I'm hearing you correctly, and correct me if I'm not, it sounds like you're not opposed to the concept, but you want some safety uh, safeguards in place and some uh, some close looks taken by regulators who don't have a bias. Would that be accurate? Yes, absolutely. Um, for example, um, the, uh, the sodium, uh, when it gets hit with neutrons, um, it will decay uh, with a half-life of 15 hours into magnesium. Uh, magnesium is not soluble. That is one of the concerns that I've raised is, um, you know, I'm a little bit concerned that they're building it in such a sparsely populated area to start with. Um, it makes me think that they might have safety concerns of their own. And um, by building it in a very sparsely populated area, um, relatively speaking, uh, you know, compared to the rest of the United States, that, um, you know, they're trying to avoid liability in the event of an accident. And, um, you know, that's not necessarily the reason they're doing it. Um, I don't want to accuse anybody of anything um, without all its proof. Um, but it is sort of a, um, it's not a red flag, it's a yellow flag. It's something we should be considering. Well, I'm against it. So anyway, thank you so very much. Thanks, caller. So, Dr. Martin, um, what's the worst case scenario on this? What, what could happen if, if, if this absolutely went south? Well, okay, so the worst case scenario, in my opinion, would be is if his um, cooling system is convective and he doesn't have a uh, proper containment facility around it. Um, in other words, um, most nuclear reactors have a um, high pressure vessel to contain the water um, so that it will boil at a higher temperature and they can run their reactors at a higher temperature. Those are the moderated reactors I talked about earlier, mm -hmm. um, which account for most commercial reactors. Now, um, his design claims to be able to avoid a meltdown um, by using convective cooling. Now, that would have to go through the core, and the primary coolant loop also has to go through the core in order to um, pick up heat from the fuel rod. And so, if there were to be a leak in the primary coolant loop, what would happen is the sodium would start burning. And the sodium would burn very, very hot. And so a very small leak would rapidly get larger as it melted the material that the pipe was made out of. And if the coolant continued to flow and continued to burn, um, we would essentially have um, 
I don't know how to describe it, but a radioactive barbecue can help. Um, the sodium is, uh, to give you a little bit of background on how radioactive the sodium is, in the Operation Crossroads test in the 1940s, they detonated a 20 kiloton um, plutonium device underwater um, because they wanted to see the effect it would have on um, World War II era ships that were obsolete. And um, the ones closest to the blast obviously sank, but the ones further out just got sprayed with some seawater from the blast. And um, when the scientists got near the vessel um, to retrieve samples, they discovered it was so radioactive from the sodium, just in seawater, that had been splashed on it, that they couldn't go aboard to retrieve their samples, and a lot of data was lost because anybody um, sent aboard those ships would have been killed by the, radio by the um, radioactivity. Mm -hmm. So sodium is a very, very good neutron absorber, and that's because there's only one isotope of sodium, uh, sodium-23. And so um, odd-numbered isotopes like that tend to be good neutron absorbers, and sodium especially is a very good neutron absorber. And um, in this case, instead of using seawater, which has you know a few grams per liter sodium in it, they're using pure metallic sodium. And so um, you know one way to make this design safer would be to use something like a molten salt. Um, there's molten salt reactors in operation, and the benefit that those have is because the metal is already oxidized, essentially, it's already um, not in a metallic state, it can't burn anymore, and so if there's a leak, then yes, the molten salt will leak out, but it won't undergo any further chemical reaction, whereas the sodium, if it were to leak, um, would burn in air, um, producing um, sodium hydroxide, and um, that then would be lifted into the atmosphere by the heat, and um, it would form, uh, for example, uh, seeds and clouds if it got up that high, um, causing nucleation and precipitation, which would be extremely radioactive. Um, by the way, for people who do know a little bit more about nuclear physics, um, it's a beta emitter. Uh, which means it emits a high-energy electron, and um, the half-life is 15 hours. So that doesn't mean it's only dangerous for 15 hours. It just means that um, the activity drops off by a factor of um, one-half every 15 hours. So if you had a massive leak, um, then after 15 hours, you only have half as much activity, but that could still be very dangerous. And so after 30 hours, you still have 25% of the activity. Um, you know, after 45 hours, you still have, um, you know, an eighth of the activity, etc. And um, with the strong winds in Wyoming, um, if it did get into a cloud layer, it could spread for quite a distance if enough sodium leaked out and burned. Um, so I think that the material that they're making their piping out of needs to be closely examined, as well as the geometry. Um, anybody who's ever worked with plumbing will know that um, elbow joints tend to fail um, just underwater. 
um, and of course sodium is uh, much denser than water and it's going to be a lot hotter and the material that it's flowing through is going to be exposed to a neutron flux which is going to weaken it over time and so I think they have to develop a comprehensive lifetime plan for when their primary coolant loop has to be replaced uh, to keep it safe. Real simple question, would using molten salt make this project safe? Um, it would definitely make it much safer. Um, I mean, with nuclear power, there's always the potential for something to go wrong. Um, but as far as I know, there has never been a major accident um, involving loss of human life or major contamination involving a molten salt reactor. And I think a molten salt reactor uh, would be much safer than a liquid metal reactor, um, just in my opinion. So, um, so why not use molten salt? Is there an argument against that? Is it more expensive? What, what would be the reason for that? Well, it is, um, I think um, the design would have to be a little bit larger. Um, the molten salt um, might be uh, not be as neutron transparent as the sodium. I know he's trying to miniaturize this as much as possible. So um, I'm not as much an expert on molten salt reactors as I am on liquid metal reactors. Um, but I do you know that um, India, for instance, which um, is suffering from uh, growing demand for power, is uh, using uh, molten salt reactors. And um, in fact, one of the benefits of a molten salt reactor is that um, extracting, um, is that the uh, fuel is actually in the molten salt. And so, um, as I said, the material in their um, fuel rods is going to have to be very highly enriched. So you have the potential for a leak in the fuel rods, and you also have the potential for a leak in the coolant loop. Whereas in a molten salt reactor, you only have one loop to worry about because the fuel is already in the molten salt and um, it doesn't have to be quite as highly enriched. And um, it's also much harder to extract from a proliferation standpoint um, than uh, something like what they're building. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Thomas Peter Martin of the University of... I haven't um, reviewed all four locations. Um, I would say that um, from a safety standpoint, um, building it in the more sparsely populated uh, regions uh, would be better from a safety standpoint. Um, but you also have to look at um, weather uh, patterns. So... Um, what's likely to be um, downwind of it. Um, so I think you would have to bring in um, meteorologists to um, probably assess that. Now in terms of nuclear waste, is that an issue with this reactor? Well, one of the um, interesting things about this reactor is so nuclear uh, waste can um, broadly be broken down into uh, two categories. The first category are um, fission byproducts, um, most of which have a comparatively short half-life um, and are generally 
safe after about a century or so. So disposing of them long term isn't as um, difficult. Now, um, the other category of nuclear waste are what's considered transuranic. So those are all of the elements um, heavier than uranium that are generated um, in a nuclear reactor. So things like plutonium, neptunium, americium, curium, things like that. And some of those have half-lives on the order of um, tens of thousands or even millions of years, depending on the isotopes. Uh, now, one advantage of this fast reactor design is that it's able to burn more of those up. Uh, the fast neutron is able to fission isotopes that would normally be non-fissile in a moderated reactor. And so, in theory, this reactor could actually be used to burn up um, transuranic um, nuclear waste from other reactors around the country that produce a lot of it. Um, the challenge, of course, being is that you have to reprocess the fuel, which means separating the transuranics from the fission decay product, and um, that's quite an expensive process. Um, so whether or not they're actually going to go through with that, um, would be something you would have to ask them. Um, but certainly it has the potential to not only reduce long-term nuclear waste, but actually eliminate long-term nuclear waste from other sites. Uh, so that's one big advantage of this reactor that has me kind of excited about it, um, if it can be made safe. Um, so this reactor design um, certainly has its benefits, um, like I said, the main drawback is the need for liquid metal cooling. Um, that, um, you know, because liquid metal will not flow the neutrons the same way that water will. And, um, you know, the choice of sodium as liquid metal is a little bit confusing um, uh, because there's a lot of other metals, um, say potassium, for instance, that melts at um, a similar temperature and isn't so strong with a neutron absorber. Um, I mean, it's a little bit more chemically reactive, um, but not much more. Um, so, um, I think um, when you're looking at this kind of reactor, um, they've typically been used on um, in military applications before. Um, so, in things like submarines where um, performance and spots are um, considered paramount and they, they're willing to push the safety boundaries a little bit because it's a military application. Um, but for a civilian application, um, I think it might be worthwhile to um, consider expanding the facility a little bit and using something like molten salt reactors, which um, can also burn up transuranics and can also um, generate more fuel than they burn. And um, so they have pretty much all the benefits of this liquid metal cooled reactor, um, except you've taken away the um, chemical reactivity of the coolant. So if there is a leak, there won't be a metal fire. Um, and of course, metal fires burn extremely hot 
and um, because they're so radioactive, I have no idea how they would intend to put one out. So that would be a question that the state regulators should certainly ask them is if for some reason your safety features fail and there is a leak in your primary coolant loop that starts a fire, um, what safety features are present to put out that fire um, before it grows into something that simply can't be contained. So again, again, it sounds like you believe this project can be made safe. You just have some concerns about how it's being proposed at the moment. Is that true? Yes. Um, I certainly believe that this um, can be made safe. Um, obviously, um, liquid sodium reactors were experimented with um, mostly in the 60s and 70s. Um, they did have um, some sodium fires, although they were relatively minor. Um, they tended to be military projects, um, and um, those were, of course, done in military test sites, which were well away from civilian centers, and they were contained. Um, however, technology, of course, has advanced a lot in the last half century. And so with modern computer controls and materials advances and things like that, I think it can be made safe. Um, my main concern is that the only people who I've been hearing any um, design features from are TerraPower themselves. Um, they write these articles and they get published in places like um, Forbes or in CNBC or other mainstream outlets touting all their safety features. Um, but I think that an independent audit essentially needs to be done on those safety features to prove that they function as designed and um, to prove that um, uh, or rather to establish um, a set of protocols um, should any of these designs fail because um, as they say, you know, the best way of plans of mice and men and all that um, even if you design the perfect system, uh, you can have an unexpected failure mode that you didn't anticipate and if that were to happen, you need to have um, something that will um, extinguish the fire and contain the sodium and so um, the only way to extinguish a sodium fire is essentially um, something like a halon fire extinguishing system, um, which basically just smothers it in um, a compound which will not react with sodium. And um, it's gaseous. Um, they use it in um, military applications. They use these kind of reactors. And the problem being, is that it only works in a contained system like the um, reactor compartment of a nuclear submarine. It wouldn't work if your uh, core was relying on convective cooling and um, the convection was being done by um, essentially outside air because then you would release the halon and it would just be convected out in the atmosphere and it wouldn't do its job. So I think that there's a couple of 
safety features that might be um, perhaps the word would be self-defeating if um, you know if push came to shove so the convective idea to prevent a meltdown is a good one but if there were to be a sodium leak instead of a meltdown then suddenly it's working against you and it sounds like a sodium leak is your bigger concern would that be accurate yes it is um so i think that um meltdowns can be prevented obviously by inserting the control rods so normally a nuclear reactor is um the reactivity is controlled um by inserting and removing um rods that absorb neutrons and so um they insert them a certain distance to uh, maintain the right neutron flux to generate the desired amount of power if they want more power they can retract them if they want to reduce power they can insert them um the problem is, um, as I said in Fukushima, is even if you, um, what's known as scram the reactor, which is to insert the rods all the way to shut down the fission process entirely, you still have fission byproducts mixed in with the fuel that will be continuing to generate about 20% of the reactor's peak power, and that heat has to be dissipated. And that was um, typically done through water coolant loops. The problem being, of course, that if power fails to the pumps, then it melts down like what happened in Fukushima. And so the idea of using a passive cooling system that uses convection is a good one, um, but we have to make sure that whatever fluid they're using for their convective system is contained so that if there is a sodium leak it's all contained inside a sealed um, reactor unit and none of it can get out into the environment. Dr. Martin we're down to about a minute left and I do have another guest coming up at 12.05 so I'll have to uh, close this segment down. Any last thoughts for our audience here this morning? Um, I would say this. I would say don't be um, unduly scared of it. Um, I do believe, um, as a scientist, that just looking at it thermodynamically, uh, nuclear power is probably the future. I don't think wind and solar have the, um, cut it from our national energy needs standpoint. So I do think nuclear has to be developed and explored. Um, I just think it has to be done safely because, um, you know, new nuclear reactors were put on hold for many decades after Three Mile Island. And so, if a similar incident were to happen here, it would set the entire incident back by decades. Dr. Martin, I'm, 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 I'm going to have to cut you off here. We are out of time, but I do appreciate your, your time this morning. It's been very informative. Thank you. All right. Uh, thank police and a group of armed men. Eleven suspects, some of them armed, are now in custody. And this all started early this morning, around 1.30 a.m., when a group of heavily armed men dressed in military style.
style tactical uniforms were spotted by police in two cars that had pulled over on 995. Two men were arrested early this morning, nine others hours later. Some of them fled into the woods armed with rifles and body cameras. A shelter-in-place order has now been lifted for the residents of Wakefield, Massachusetts. Fox's Lucas Tomlinson reporting. A ransomware attack is targeting some companies in the U.S. and elsewhere. Is paralyzing the networks of at least 200 U.S. companies. Information technology company Kaseya says it's investigating what it calls a potential attack on a tool used by IT professionals. The group believed to be behind the attacks, are evil is the same one that attacked a U.S. meat supplier this spring. Fox's Carmen Roberts. America is listening to Fox News. America's birthday with Fox News Radio starting at 9 a.m. East with a special patriotic Brian Kilmeade show. Then at noon, it's the Fox Across America July 4th Freedom Festival with Jimmy Fallon. And at 3 p.m. East, Guy Benson celebrates the 4th with memorable interviews celebrating America's patriots. Listen starting July 4th at 9 a.m. East, 6 West on the Fox News app. Download now and just click listen. Happy 4th of July from Fox News Radio. Celebrate this 4th of July all weekend with Fox News Channel. Our proud American coverage will highlight our nation's patriotic spirit with one-of-a-kind performances and events. Plus, all weekend, Abby Hornacek is bringing you a special look at our nation's history and this year's iconic Kansas City Air Show. Then, you don't want to miss our Independence Day special Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, commemorating the founding of our nation with spectacular fireworks shows live. Join us for the ultimate proud American celebration happening all weekend only on Fox News Channel. Republicans are critical of President Biden for recent inflation and believe gasoline and grocery prices are out of control. Michigan Congressman Dan Kildee on Fox's Cavuto Live. We obviously always want to be concerned to try to manage the economy to avoid runaway inflation. I think there is a difference in terms of the experience we're having now and those past periods where, as you point out, there were structural problems in the economy. The White House insists inflation is only temporary while the economy recovers from the pandemic. Louisiana has a new controversial abortion law. The measure signed by Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards, who opposes abortion, centers around a drug-induced version of the procedure involving two kinds of pills. Under the new law, doctors are required to let the patient know in a written statement that the first pill isn't always effective and that it might be possible to reverse the process if they have second thoughts. Opponents say there isn't science to support that, and similar laws passed by Republican-led states are already being challenged in court. Louisiana's version won some bipartisan support from legislators. It's scheduled to take effect August 1st. Lisa Brady, Fox News. This is expected to be a busy weekend for animal shelters. The days after the 4th of July are tough on animal shelters, which may get packed with pets freaked out by the sound of fireworks. They often run away from home hoping to escape the noise and wind up in places like the Santa Fe Animal Shelter in New Mexico. Spokesman Mirag Kurdar. June was overwhelming to us. And as we go into the 4th of July weekend, which is also one of the busiest weekends for stray animals because of the fireworks, we are right now at overcapacity. Plenty of animal advocates say this coming week would be a great one to volunteer some of your time at a local shelter. Till NATO Fox News. I'm Joe Chira, Fox News.